Awesome. So today on the podcast, we've got Todd Jarrett, who's a subconscious coach. How are you going, brother? Epic, brother. Awesome. How are you? Very good, man. Very good. A lot better now to see your smiling face, which is awesome. <laughs> got the vibes. Yeah. How are things going up QLD way? Oh, well, to, to be frank, they're doing a lot better than I believe they are down in Vic in New South. So no, so good. There's a lot going on at the moment. A lot of things that have flowed together over the last two or three months, just surrounded by incredible humans doing massive things that are they're going to have global impacts and being able to collaborate and partner with some amazing people. So yeah, things are going awesome. My uh, day-to-day is improving, my health, my energy and all of those things. So yeah, all, all like 10 out of 10. That's awesome, dude. Um, how about we get into a little bit of story? I'd love to, I guess, Quite a few people on the podcast probably know who you are. Um, <laughs> you probably don't. So it'd be yeah. cool to get into your story, like where it all started for you. Obviously, you've got a bit of background in moto, which is really cool to be able to share a bit of value with the listeners. But where did that sort of start for you? Yeah, yeah. So um, I know obviously with your background, with moto and that being a focus, it'll be sweet um, in, in terms of what we can chat about. So I grew up in Hay um out little outback town in new south wales i know you were there recently uh, yeah. which is sick and yeah so i grew up there and started dad was a motocross racer or dirt track racer back in the day and so i started when i was i think eight and you know you know charlie anderson you've been working with um yeah, charlie yeah. was probably a year before me and so i was out at sand pits one day and he was riding and he'd just gone, done a couple of club days at bar arnold and whatnot so i got into racing and I guess the yeah moto was my life from from really eight till probably really till I moved up here to Queensland when I was about 21 22 um I you know had been racing in in Vic mainly in the northern region series and then the Vic titles and then the junior Aussies and things like that it's always kind of like a top five top ten kind of a guy um yeah I was gonna say but like a pretty high level didn't you yeah yeah so I did um I was in eventually ended up in like pro open and and that uh racing mxd uh in my second year of seniors and and then moved up into and went into pro open but i was never going to be a pro like i was never going to be a pro racer i was too analytical i was i was too um risk averse from injuries and things like that when i was younger so i still remember when i was 13 greg moss mossy i was at a school and and by that point i was uh, i was commentating so this was probably like my must have just been 14 actually it was my second year of commentating so I was a little pipsqueak kid that had done some guest commentary at the MX Nationals and things like that and and Mossy had said to me you're going to make an incredible and I was like oh he's going to say racer and he's like commentator you're not going to be a pro racer but and I was like oh so like a 14 year old kid that's dream is to be a pro racer just gets stabbed in the chest and I was like oh that hurts so um so yeah I in, in terms of the, the moto story at least um yeah, I started commentating when I was 13 because I had surgery on my wrist that I broke. And and uh, from there started, it was just like a barrel two-day open and then went and did some Northern Regions and then, you know, Junior Vicks and Senior Vicks and Women's Nationals and then the, did some guest commentary in the MX Nats and, and uh, kind of continued to progress. And then when I was 18 was when I 
manage the Witten's junior Cowie team back then. And that's when I started commentating the MX nationals, did that for that year. And then the, the following year was when I went into pro open and wanted to um, focus on my racing again, but then kind of got um, moved across into journalism. So I was writing, you know, moto articles and, and round reviews and, and bike tests and bike reviews for, for MC news. And then a few for transmoto and, and things of that um, in that way. And when I moved to, to Queensland, that's when it all really stopped. My focus went into to what I was doing with, you know, teaching at, at uni and in XFIS and XScience and, and running our programs and things like that. So that's a, the, the moto background in that way. Um, yeah. So, I'd, you know, I'd go, to, I'd go to the MX Nationals and MX Dan. I'd be like a 20th place guy. I was, I was not a top five, top 10 guy. I wasn't a contender for any championships or anything like that. Yeah. Um, even when I was racing, the focus was still primarily on school and education. So I guess in terms of my personal story then and shifting from moto was, um, was, was labeled as like, you know, gifted as a kid in like year three and, and skipped up a year. So I skipped ahead and then had a whole lot of bullying that ended up like I was, you know, 10, 10 years old and I was, you know, didn't want to go to school and I was, you know, struggling with like suicidal thoughts and things like that from the bullying. And, and it kind of created a story that I made around how, you know, I needed to protect myself by being different and, and then I ended up going away to boarding school and trying to manage, you know, racing and boarding school when you're living at school five days a week was, was really tough and a big challenge. But during that time, I started to develop a, a passion and an interest in, in the training side of things. Um, and so that obviously ended up leading me into studying exercise science at, at uni um, and uh, running sort of like the, the athlete program down in, in Bendigo at the time there. And then um, got the opportunity to come up here to Queensland to um, originally at the time it was to intern with a coach that had been at Stanford University in their Olympic and their you know their football program and yeah. I came up just to, to intern to get a letter of recommendation because I wasn't able to um, get into intern at a college at, as a such a high level as Stanford without knowing someone on the inside because number one they didn't take um internationals and number two I didn't really know anyone in that way I didn't have a postgraduate degree or anything which is like a prerequisite there and I came up here to intern with Matt Busson and they were like wow like you know what you're doing you're a quality young coach do you want to move up here and teach at the uni and run the you know teach the personal the PT courses the personal training courses and coach your athletes and consult up here and I was like absolutely I can learn more here than I could there where I was down in Vic because I was kind of like managing and running the show down there yeah. um so moved up here and and then that developed from really from teaching at uni like I'm a very fucking passionate person and especially I'd, I'd back then my my mentor was Christian Woodford which you'd know of um yeah. and and Woody's got about as much passion as anyone on the face of the planet and that yeah. came across when I was teaching at uni. So like I was a no BS guy. I was like, this is what they want to teach you at uni. This is what you actually need to know. So we were really fortunate. We got to rewrite the curriculum and, and all of all of that side of things for the courses that we were teaching in the X science and X phys. Um, but from that, you know, my, I guess my passion for, for speaking the truth of, you know, the industry and, and sharing what I'd learned and experienced um, was, was felt from the students and then that led to by demand starting TJT which was a mentorship program that I had which was upskilling you know allied health pros and and trainers and um, strength and conditioning coaches and physiotherapy students and, and things like that exercise physiologists and whatnot and 
that was everything I wanted to do while you know I was teaching at uni and consulting with a few athletes here and there. But um, as I got further through the journey, I started to get more and more pulled toward the mindset side of things, um, obviously with the athletes I was working with, but also from my own health journey that was going on. And, and um, yeah, it's, it all sort of flowed in that way. Obviously, there's the context of what I've gone through health-wise, which I dare say we'll probably chat a bit about. Um, but that's kind of, yeah, I, the, the, the moto story, the, the coaching story was, yeah, my background was in, in working with athletes in the training side of things. And then I was incredibly fortunate to get to go and have a few weeks as a guest coach at, at Stanford um, in their NFL and their Olympic sport program and work within their physiotherapy team as well, which was like blew my mind. Like it just, and that's something I'd love to chat about, you know, later during the podcast in terms of what I learned about sport and performance and the science and where, where we're off with, with the moto side of things and where we can bring more value. Yeah. And getting to, to learn from Mike Boyle and Eric Cressy and, and the guys at Egoscue and Les Spellman and, Man, I just I came back from America learning from those guys because Woody had basically said back then, Christian Woodford, that is, um, who'd who'd been my mentor, that if you want to be the best coach in the world, you need to go to America and, and experience their systems. And so that's what, you know, that's what I went and did. And I came back to Australia with so much drive and passion. And I got yeah. to a point where I realized like I can either work with 10 athletes and help them incredibly, or I can focus on educating and upskilling 10 coaches and then they help 10 athletes and then it's we've impacted 100. So that's yeah. where my movement started to go from working with the athletes to, to upskilling and, and educating the coaches from what I'd learned from, you know, the time in the US and, and whatnot. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it kind of became more of a more of a teacher and a mentor in that way. And then, yeah, through through my journey what's kind of naturally flowed is I realized that my purpose my passion and my mission the reason I'm on the face of this planet is mindset it's psychology it's you know the subconscious mind and and that's what I'm now doing um and what I'm so blessed to be able to do with you know corporates so you know high level business people and then pro athletes so yeah I guess I guess that's the, the story the context um yeah. yeah for those areas so what sort of timeline were you like this is just a bit of a random question, yeah. but race in the regions. And because I remember, I think it was 04, 05, 06, I raced all the regions and went, like, went to Bell Reynold every year. Like, we loved it, that track. So, yeah, I remember I watching you race. Didn't know who you were back then. Really? Yeah, no, yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, that's why later on in the years. So, okay, I'll answer your question before we go into that. <laughs> um, how, how old are you now? At 26. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I started racing in 04 um, and was doing the regionals from 05, 06 onwards, really through till 2012. I kind of, it was like when I went into seniors, my focus was just on the Vic, like the senior Vicks and sort of the nationals um, and not so much doing the regionals. But yeah, from, from 05 really to 2011, it was regionals all the way through, Northerns and the Vicks. And, and things like that so yeah I, I can literally remember like and and I have an old um you know the old race programs I, they probably still do them but I haven't been in, in, in moto for a while yeah, um yeah. I was flicking through them when I was back in Hay like uh four or five months ago and there were there you were Benny Greenwood I was like there he is <laughs> so the, the context I guess for the listeners everyone everyone knows who you are but for me like 
my background, I'd been away from the sport of motocross for a bunch of years, focusing on what I was doing in, in different sports and, and with educating in that way. And, yeah. and, uh, and then with, through Keegan and through the Real Movement crew, which I know you've been a part of and in that whole space for quite a while, yeah. um, I remember seeing this 100% strength and I was like, what's this? And I was like, yeah, I can do it. He's from Friday. Okay. And then I looked, I was like, dude, it's, I was like that moment of, holy shit, it's Benny Green with the moto rider. Because, you know, you see the name. And I was like, I've seen that name before. And then when I saw the moto, I was like, yes, there's another guy in this space that's in moto. Because, you know, for you and I, when you're in, you're in the strength and conditioning space, there's not a whole lot of guys that are in the, in the motocross training world that and i say this objectively and i'm going to be fucking candid in this podcast i said to you before there's a whole lot of trainers in the world of motocross that are shit that's just straight up there and and there there are few and far between quality strength and conditioning coaches in the world that are actually in motocross and and especially in that kind of community so when i saw that you know you were linked in with with real movement and keegs and that whole crew and you're in motocross i was like Yes, there's someone that's good. Fuck yeah. Like I remember back then I was literally celebrating. I was like, oh my gosh, yes. So <laughs> that's that answers that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, dude. Because honestly, like I didn't know who you were back then. Um, so I think similar. Like I probably came across your stuff through Keegs somehow. And yeah. then I like went on your Instagram and did a bit of an Insta stalk. And I'm like, hey, this dude's from Bell Road. <laughs> like, yeah. Yes. Because yeah. I, I was yeah. quite the same. Like I had like 2013, I actually like sold my motorbikes and n- never wanted to ride one ever again. Like mm. had a bit of a, I guess that was my first taste of a bit of an identity crisis when I became a dad, started thinking about quitting my job and, wanted to become a coach it was like ah, this whole thing kind of and mm. I wasn't enjoying riding man so yeah I not being very well versed in what was going on like so psychology wise I just looked at that external thing the bike I wasn't enjoying it so I'm like yeah it's gone I sold it mm. and the real like problem there was internal obviously um and I was just blaming that the, the bike so I didn't ride a bike for like five and I thought I never would again. Like there was a time there where I was like, I'm done with bikes. Um, Mm. And then I went on that. Came to realize that obviously wasn't the bike, like the bikes, the thing I loved since I was a kid. So um, came back to the bikes and and getting back into moto again. And yeah, that's when stumbled across your stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. When, when I moved up to Queensland in, it was the start of 2017. I literally just finished my uni degree in, in X science. I was enrolled in my master's in exercise physiology, but I was a plan A person. And I was like, that's yeah. that's like a safety thing. It's a security thing. That's not me. I'm like, I'm going to fucking Stanford. That's what I'm doing. So that's why I put all my eggs in one basket and came up here. And and um, and when I moved up, I still had a bike. I had like my, my Cowie 250 at that point. That was from back when I was managing with Wittens and yeah and um shout out to trav and nath that was yeah that was some boys good old days that was sick those times and and um yeah when i moved up here i sort of i wrote a little bit to begin with but then 
my focus was just more and more about what I was doing in the coaching space and that kind of thing. And then I ended up, my, my partner back then moved up and that's pretty much when Moto just disappeared from my life. And, and my whole focus went into, you know, this other space. And I, I didn't even follow Moto at all for three or four years. Like I haven't watched the Supercross season, Motocross season in full for, man, since I moved to Queensland, probably before that, probably like 23rd, 2016 would be the last time I'd say. And I'm only watching, like I'm watching it now because obviously a few of the guys that I'm working with, which is epic. Yeah. Um, but when, yeah, when you leave the sport and you, your view changes and you see all of these other sports and the, and the, the level of, you know, the science or the, you know, the, the level of the evidence-based practice or the, you know, what is being implemented in that way. When I came back to moto, I was like, holy crap it's like we're in the 70s it's like 1970s stuff still going on yeah so and i know i know you deal with that flat out because you're in this space constantly so yeah um yeah it's it's definitely been a journey that's for sure and that's why i was so pumped when we were like talking about the podcast i was like there's a whole lot of things that i'd love to be able to speak about that will probably ruffle feathers but i feel need to be spoken about because you know for me it's like we need to move our sport forward in this way and to be straight up with you i stopped working with moto athletes in that was actually part of the time when i stepped away from it when my first year working up in queensland i had a, a bunch of riders that were interstate and in, like around the, the country that were you know they'd fly in they do an immersion with me for two weeks like on like a boot camp and then head back and I just kept hearing it constantly over and over, like these young guys, that they'd be there to train with me. They'd be investing or not likely most of the time their parents were investing to work with me and they'd be paying, you know, big dollars, what I considered back then to be big dollars. And they'd want to go out and go to the clubs at nighttime. They'd want to go and, you know, pick up chicks flat out. They, they, you know, all of these things and they're complaining to me, I don't get paid enough. I don't get this opportunity. I don't get that. I was like, you fucking deserve it. Like that's, that's what I felt about in that way, Aussie motor. And this is what I mean. I'll probably ruffle feathers. People might want to, might not want to hear this, but I turned away from Aussie motor specifically because I felt like the athletes wanted so much and put in so little in terms of the commitment um, at, you know, at the level that I, where I was working at at the MX nationals anyway, with a bunch of those guys where they wanted yeah. to go out and party and club on their weekends off. And I was like, I can see why there's a select few of the guys that have made it and nailed it over in Europe and America because they were the kids that didn't get caught in that scene. They did the work and were consistent with it. And yeah, um, yeah and that's it, it. I guess it, yeah, in a way it turned me off because I was a kid that always worked my ass off, but I didn't have the, the quote unquote talent. Um, yeah. So, you know, and as I said, I wasn't going to make it as a pro, but I had that dream. And I saw these other kids that had the opportunity that weren't doing the work. And I was just like, I'm done with that. Like, it just, it, it really cooked me. I guess it hurt me really deep down. And that's why now I'm really selective of the people that I work with because it's, it's an investment, you know, your energy you're putting into them and, and you, when you see their potential, like you want to see them reach that. So, yeah. Yeah, it's true, man. I've seen it plenty of times. Like people, <clears throat> they'll, they'll say that they want to be the best in Australia or the best in the world. I'm like, well, dude, that like the habits have to align like you, you yeah. can't be the best dude in australia or the best dude in the world when like you say you're going out and partying and and all the rest of it like yeah so how i guess 
when did you realize that that mental side of it was so important in moto or, or it was perhaps lacking in some people you were working with yeah so uh in terms of the mental side of it so you know back then um let's say if we were talking 2017 2018 um when i was working with this kind of like, like this a select group of guys um by that point, I'd kind of, you would say I'd um, filtered through and let a bunch go because I didn't, you know, so there was only a select few that I was like, you know, you guys are actually committed to this. And at that point in time, arguably with the all the other riders, I'd had a bunch of them coming in and into the gym back then that was um, training that, you know, we were training the physiological and testing the physical measures. We're doing all of, you know, all the, the biological metrics and all of those things because I had access to the uni. And my guys were smoking you know, their friends that would come and we'd do testing together. And so physiologically we were dominant. And I was like, we've got the best program here by far. Like if Australia, arguably the world, because I'd, by that point I'd started to understand what was going on with, you know, within Baker's program and within the programs in the U S and I was like, dude, we are killing it. But yeah. the guys weren't winning. They, you know, the guys that were less fit, less strong, less this, that, and the other um, were beating them straight up on the weekends and that's where i was like obviously there's a the physical skill of riding the bike but there's something missing here there's something not right and there was one particular athlete back then and i can mention his name straight up on here it was um zach small who he's not racing anymore but yeah. basically um zach first came to me and he was you know one of the party kids and i said i'm not working with you straight up just turned him down and said not a chance and at this point he was mxd going into mx1 for husqvarna in the yeah. in the national so it was like top three top five in mxd and then in mx1 at the nationals he was like a seventh to eight he was like kind of like the top privateer and um and anyway he he surprised me he really impressed me and i give him respect to this day because i said i'm only working with you if i'm working with your parents and so he was like done okay righto we're all working together he stopped partying he stopped anything he was doing and he went hard and i was blown away so to this day Zach's one of those guys I'm like massive respect for him because he turned it turned himself around and yeah. anyway what what happened was um he he was at Queensland titles and I believe it was at Townsville back in the day and and he was going into the final race of the series because obviously Queensland titles it's a two two event sort of series that they do and um he was going into the final moto and he was like second or third in points. I believe it was behind like Kayla Barham and, and Richie Evans or something like that. And uh, one, I think may have been now, I'm probably going to butcher this, but one of the guys bikes blew up and I know Richie like broke his wrist and his leg had a massive crash. And Zach ended up winning the title, not because he'd gone out and won, but he kind of won it by default. Yeah. And he, he'd never won, you know, one of these major titles before. And, and when I was speaking with them afterwards, you know, obviously we're, we're chatting quite a bit with the training side of it. And I was like, dude, dude, you won. Like, that's incredible. And he's like, he couldn't believe it. He was in a state of disbelief. Yeah. And when I, I spoke, it was actually, I spoke to his partner first and I said, what was his reaction? And she was like, he didn't believe it. He was like almost shocked, confused, like it wasn't right. And that kind of twigged something. And then when he and I spoke, I, we bro broke it down more. And he's like, yeah, dude, it was like, it's like I didn't belong there. And I was like, okay. That's when I kind of put disbelief and don't belong together. And 
you know, because he was going into that final race and, you know, he was in, in say, third. So he was going to finish third in the points or whatever. But then both guys dropped out. So he won by default, not by his conscious choice. And then what happened was when I sat him down and, and we kind of reviewed it all, I said, when you started racing, were you, were, you the, were you the kid? And he said, no, I grew up then I tie pierce. And, you know, like I think there was a couple other guys like Joel Dinsdale and back then he's like, so I grew up racing and I was always second or third. And so his whole race career from the time he was on a 50 all the way through, he was like a second or third place guy. Cause I can still remember junior Aussies. there would be like Wade Carter back then on KDM and then there'd be Zach. And like, so he'd always be a top three guy, but he'd never had won a title. And so when he finally won the pro open title in Queensland, there was this like, well, what I'm the champ. What do you mean? I'm the champion. I've never been champion before. And there was this like, and this is when I was, I started to go, there's something underneath this top level desire to win that's not aligning and that's kind of when i started to go deeper into there's something to this mindset stuff and obviously i'd been on a personal development mindset journey since i was like 16 from from high school days and i'm you know i'm pumped that i can say that now because it's obviously given me a lot of years of experience to understand and to kind of study and research but that's when i was like okay i'm going full into this the physical is going to be secondary to me now and that's when I started deep diving into that and going into the subconscious because I was like, there's something every athlete consciously wants to win. Every single guy that you're working with consciously has the desire. I want to be the champion. I want to be the best in the country. I want to be the best in the world. But when they're subconscious, which is the real driver underneath, as I've said before many times, it's 40 million times more powerful in processing capacity. And it's 95% of the human mind. You're never going to win with 5% of conscious desire when the subconscious is telling you otherwise. So that's when I was like, okay, Zach's subconscious tells him he's a second to third place guy or a third to fifth place guy. His conscious says, I want to be a champion, but the subconscious, which is more powerful, will always put him back in in his default position, kind of like a self-sabotage process. And so that's when I started really diving into that. And um, when Zach obviously ended up um, stopping racing, might've been end of 2019, I believe. Um, at that point I was not working with any other athletes and I was solely focused on, on TJT and what I was doing there. I kept going deeper into the mindset with the coaches and and the guys in the mentoring way. And I got to, uh, last year, obviously with my health journey and everything that went on, I got to a point where I was like, I, I feel like I've become an ultimate generalist. I've done deep research and understanding of training. I've done the same thing with mindset. And by this point with what I'd gone on with my health and, and nearly losing my life twice, I'd gone deep on, on nutrition. And then obviously on the, the balance, the hormones and minerals, the gut microbiome, I was like, I can pretty much consult with any athlete in any area and, and support them in a holistic way. But to me, I was like building a brand that can really serve the world. You don't build a brand by build, being a generalist. You build a brand by being an expert in one area and then you you, you know, you expand from there. And yep. so that's when I made the decision last year, sort of maybe all, maybe around this time last year, actually, it's like, if I could do one thing every day for the rest of my life and know that I couldn't have learned enough and there was always something more and I'd be passionate about it every single day, what would it be? I was like, it's mindset, 100%. And that's when I made the decision. I am going purely down the mindset path. Obviously, when I'm consulting with my guys in that space, I can help in the other areas because I have those tools. But I've realized that the number one most important thing is the mindset in the way that you can have the, the fittest, strongest, 
athlete with the greatest skill set, but if their subconscious is saying, yeah, you're, you're a third to fifth place guy, they, that is their limiting factor because the mind will, you know, be sending the signal to the body and, and giving them that result. So yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's just been, honestly, it has been fucking remarkable to see it actually play out, implementing it with athletes and only focus on rewiring their subconscious and watching the changes. It has just been amazing. And that's where I go, I need to get this out to the world and I need to get this out to coaches like yourself that can implement it, you know, the subconscious and the identity system because, man, just what, I, what I've seen and experienced firsthand and, and seeing the feedback and the changes in physiologic, like physical metrics as well, is just like guys that aren't even changing their training, that aren't even training, they're in a recovery, like a, a rest period because they're injured. And we're increasing their aerobic capacity, their their VO2s, all of these, these different metrics and measures just through subconscious and breath work. So yeah. yeah, man, it's it's just it's just shattered my view of what it is to be a high performer, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I I you're right, man. Like you can have all the physical attributes in the world, but if that, that mental game's not there, then it's essentially like worthless almost. Hey. Yeah, and it's you know, we see it all the time. We see these absolute phenoms, but they have that, you know, the mentality if you can you can just tell. They're the guy that's been the second to fifth place guy their whole career. One of the you know, in, I know in Moto in Australia, everyone knows him. And you've heard me talk about him on the podcast before, Dan McCoy. He was a pro for 15 years, rode for every factory team in Australia twice, except Factory Cowie, who he rode for once. Yeah. And he never once won a championship. Not once. His best almost consistently was second. And when I started working with him, um, which was, around, you know, obviously he's gone through the, the um, paralysis process and I'm working with him in that space. Yeah. To begin with, the, the first few weeks, we were talking about his career and yeah. he just, we, we call it silver. This, this alter ego or this, the ego part of his mind is silver. And, mm -hmm. and I tell him whenever it pops up because his whole career, he was the silver guy. He never had in his mind, I'm the gold, yeah. I'm, I'm that guy. And, and honestly, like I've, it was gut-wrenching for me and really hurt me because I looked up to Dan. Mm. It gets me a little bit emotional. But when we were going through these things with the subconscious, like Dan was obviously realizing his whole career, those 15 mm. years, he's like, I never won a title, not because I didn't do everything I fucking could, but because my subconscious told me I'm a second to third place guy because he grew up racing Doggy and Jay Marmon and, um, and, and the Gobit brothers. And so he, he was the same as Zach. He was a second, third place guy through juniors, which just continued on. And... Um, and he had the same thing, self-sabotage process, where it was Nelly winning a title and had something small go wrong that, you know, he went through. And and to see him, you know, when we're going through these things now and where he's at and, you know, him going, dude, if only I had you 15 years ago, my whole fucking career, my whole life would be different. That was when yeah. I was like, <clears throat> that, that was tough because you, I could see the pain in him in that way of like, he's an incredible human mindset wise already through what he's been through, but. Yeah. But just seeing that and going, holy shit, like I can't let this happen to other young guys that have this potential. Yeah. And that's that's where I've kind of stepped in with a couple of these guys and said, I can see your potential. I see where you're at. And I know that you can do it if you get this set right. Yeah. Um, and and I'm so grateful in that way that I've been able to work with Dan in, in a diff completely different space. But because it's been able to show me, holy shit, 
he worked harder than most guys around him. He, you know, he's a tattered up guy that people look at. I was like, oh, he surely he's a badass that goes and parties. Yeah, yeah. He's never done drugs and he's barely ever drank alcohol, never drank alcohol until after he was retired. And he only yeah. drinks like maybe once a year with a family occasion. Yeah. Such a straight shooter and did everything he always, you know, always could. Yeah, but yeah. this this part underneath that subconscious, yeah, drove and and steered his career in that way. And um, I've okay. seen it in myself in in aspects of what I've done in you know in my career and what I've in the areas I've been down. And now that I'm being able to see it, it's like now I can rewire the whole direction of my life because I have the you know the tools and the the, the controls now. Oh, dude, I totally resonate with that. Even just my own racing career i resonate with that mm. for sure man like i i the, the listeners on the podcast will i've said it plenty of times like i, I actually got to pro class like i've raced off-road mostly motocross yeah. like the regions were just kind of a fun thing to do on the side yeah um, <laughs> but i got to pro class i raced in pro class with yeah. with milner and and all the boys yeah to me in my head i was never a pro yeah. It was always like them, then me. Yeah. I didn't see myself as a pro rider. I like most of them didn't have full time jobs. I still went to work every day, blah, 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 all the rest of it. Yeah. So in my head, I never really thought I could compete with them. Yeah. Um and so I was I was always racing for seventh place. Yeah. And the same thing, like you know, you'd be almost an identical to Zach. I I can guarantee if we went back then. And you're in that position in that state and a factory team came to you and said, hey, we want you to be our rider. You'd be like, what, oh, what? me? Are you sure? Dude, that, that virtually happened. I got top, yeah, I got top 10 at Hatter, yeah. um, which was like, that was kind of like a breakthrough thing for me. Um, yeah. I've never got a, like a, a great result like that. Yeah. So I was the first non-factory rider that year yeah. when I come 10th. One of my mates, <clears throat> Dave Suda, he was, I can't remember what team he was working for then. He's like a, a mechanic. Yeah. Um, so he's like, oh, I can get you a ride in the Australian Safari on a, on a factory team. And I was like, what? I can't do that. I straight turned it down. You're like, kidding, really? Yeah, I turned it oh, down, dude, because I. There it is. There <laughs> it is. <laughs> exactly. But I didn't know. Like, I didn't. Yes. It was like, I can't do that. Yeah. Like, there's no way I'm capable of riding on a factory team in the Australian Safari. Yeah, um, that's yeah, that's not who I, mean, I am. That's that identity. Yeah, exactly, man. And mm. like, I could have, I could have gone and done it and got out of my comfort zone, and and yeah, things could have been different. But yeah. it just, I straight up didn't even entertain the thought. Like, I was just yeah. like, nah, that's that's not me. So yeah. I just went back and did the same old thing. It's next flash, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that, I get you. I was going to ask you, man, like to use two examples there, like you did of, of someone like Zach and you mentioned Wade Carter because mm. I remember him. He was like a gun junior. <laughs> yeah. So he's obviously in his head as a junior. He's like the dude he was winning. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. But then he kind of fizzled out his career. Yeah. It didn't go. It didn't turn into like a multi-time Australian senior champion. So, yeah. Now that I look back at it, in terms of analysing Wade, um, he he was a phenom in Victoria, like yeah. unbeatable at Victorian titles. 
yeah. as soon as you know he he won very few Australian junior Aussies um, like junior Aussie titles and that was because almost every time he'd go to a junior Aussies he's, he'd get chronic crazy arm pump that was what Wade was known for was arm pump it was like he was fast but got arm pump and now that I look back I know that that was you know you know the metaphysical that was him being too nervous and tight yeah. with you know that going up against these other guys and now I see it I like that was a subconscious thing because he was like I'm fast, but maybe I'm not that guy. And um, that was like definitely on his years as he went up with KDM and whatnot. And, and the same thing when he went to the MX Nationals, so fast, but the same challenges would arise. And as you know, with the arm pump side of things, it's like, man, if, if you had the magic bullet to arm pump, you'd be a billionaire because everyone wants it. But it's like, as you know, there's there's aspects to it. Um, yeah. And and a big part of it for, for Wado, now looking back as I'm aware, is was that mindset side of it. Yeah. 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 So that, that's what I mean, man. Like, where do you think that comes from? Like, obviously it's conditioning from such a young age. Um, mm. well, I, that's, I guess, where I think it comes from. But can you maybe elaborate on that for people? Because I'm sure there's yeah. listeners listening to this right now. They're like, fuck, I'm, I resonate with what he's saying. Like, I'm sure mm. people have experienced this. Yes. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll speak, I'll speak from like a, a general sense. And then what I'll do is I'll use an example of like Carmichael or something to, to give the, the points of view, the, on like the continuum, the one side and then the other. Yeah. So with, with the mindset side of things, obviously, you know, for you and I, we know this, but for the listeners, almost all of our, our mental patterning is created before the age of seven because we're in a hypnotic state we're in theta wave brain state for the most part and and then obviously we become less adaptable and less pliable as we get older we can still change things but it's more challenging and in addition to that it's like the earlier on these experiences occur the more deeply ingrained they are so if you're a young rider that's you know starting out let's say for example it's it's at the northern regions or the big off roads or whatever it is they start out and they then you know, they go to a clubby and their third place guy and oh yeah okay i'm from third now and and then they move forward and they go to the regionals and they're like a third or a second place guy it kind of what happens is they build an expectation based on the past so as we know the present is a blank canvas but for most people they drag their past into their present and then obviously that just repeats into the future so they're really not living a new life they're just bringing their old life through every day and, you know, that's most people with a nine, you know, that live in that nine to five kind of routine or, you know, they're in that kind of a cyclical pattern. But the same thing plays out with, with athletes and performance because they have these experiences where they develop because with an experience creates a belief, it creates a mental story. And so what happens is, and let's, if I used a personal example, because I'd be the perfect fit, same kind of thing as you, like, you know, quick, yeah. but not a top guy was, was that started early on where it's like, I, you know, I was always racing Charlie and Charlie was always quicker than me. I was always in his shadow in that way. And yeah. so whenever we go to a race, as soon as like, if I knew Charlie was coming to any race, I'm like, Oh yeah, red ribbon. I'm getting the second place ribbon. It was just like accepted. I've, you know, my whole trophy cabinet at home, I've probably got like two blue ribbons. Yeah. And like even at club days and stuff, like, because there was always like a Charlie or a Nathan Trigg or like the Shad Bolt boys. And, you know, that was always tough competition in that way. Even in, even in places like Bow Reynolds and Swan Hill in the middle of nowhere, like there were still those quick kind of kids. And so my, my story was that, okay, I've come second and third quite a lot. So I'm a second or third place guy. And it was, didn't matter if it was like a club day or a region or like a Vic or an Aussie. It was kind of like, 
you know, I'm this guy, this is where I am. And, and it's, it's one created by our experience. So from our, you know, our results, but it is also created by the people around us. So, you know, if we're, if we're using this example, um, Dan, a big part of, you know, Dan was how his, you know, how his dad was, because, you know, for a lot of it, it's what our father puts onto us. If our father is like beaming us with confidence, dude, you can do it. You can get that next race where you can, you know, rah, rah, rah. You start to, the story in your head, although the results, you know, there's results on one part and then there's the story that you're telling yourself. If your story can overpower the past results, that's when you make a shift. So let's say, for example, I'd always been second or third, but my dad kept telling me, hey, you know, you can win next, but you will win. You will win eventually. If I get enough belief, I will eventually get there. And then that will concrete in that story. And it's like, I get one, let's say I got one race win over one of the boys. It's like, dad was right. I can't right. This is who I'm going to do this more and more and more. And it just builds and builds. It's a snowball effect. But a lot of kids don't have that in the way that their, their parents for a lot of the time will tell them, you know, you're doing your best, keep going with that or like, you should have one or it's a lot of like the negative reinforcement rather than the positive reinforcement. And so it, their story builds on their results and they don't have something strong enough to overcome that, you know, that, that shift in, in belief, that story. Yeah. So in that way, that's where most people start and that's where most people end because, you know, we have thousands of well, millions around the world of athletes that want to be pros or that want to be world champion and only yeah. one in their sport gets to be that. Because the the belief, the story for most people is what carries them through. Then if we switch it, so so in that way, we have results or the outcomes create the mental story. I got second, so I'm a second place guy, you know, and that continues. So that's one path. Then there's the, the counter to that that can overcome it, which is you get someone that's telling you over and over again that you can do it, that they believe in you, that you've got it within you. And if you get an if, this is the, the important part. If you get a breakthrough result where you win one, that can click the story and you go, yeah, that's me. But if you don't get that breakthrough result, you'll never have it subconsciously because basically they've got, let's say it in this way, they've got their subconscious belief. I'm a second or third place guy, which is 95%. And then you've got this 5% conscious. It's like, no, I, I could win. I could win. Dad said I could. Mum said I would, you know. Yeah. That, that 5% isn't enough to beat the 95%. So they remain yeah. in that 95 but if they get that breakthrough result, it can kind of switch it. And it might not go from, you know, flip 95-5 and go the other way. It might go like 50-50. So then they're going into the next race. And then what happens is it's kind of, this is where it's like a process, you know. If the next race they go and win again, it goes, okay, now it's like 75 subconscious, I can win. 25, yeah, maybe not. Like conscious, you know, it's a bit of a flip. Yeah. Um, but in the same token, if they go to that 50-50 and then the next race they come third, it pulls them back down again. So this is where it's like an accumulative effect. And this is the way I work with it with athletes is we're not focusing on the outcome. We are focusing on your day-to-day habits, your processes, and know that by nailing your process, you will get the outcome by default. Because, you know, the saying goes by James Clear, we don't rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our habits. It's the biggest thing for my guys is let's develop your habits to be number fucking one and you will get there by default in the process. But if you've got a dream of being number one and your habits align with a 15th place guy you're not going to get past 15 yeah. um so that's that aspect of it and then if we look at and we use the example of say carmichael in this way so you could think of actually of any greatest of all time 
so we could in the, the off-road series, obviously in, in that way, if we talk about US, like Caleb Russell's been huge for a number of years. Um, yeah. And in that kind of a space, you know, we, we have these guys that are the, the goats. Now, what actually develops someone into being a goat, same as Michael Jordan, same as Michael Phelps, same as Federer in his time and, and things of that nature, those kind of people, you know, Lewis Hamilton at the moment in, in F1, is they get a number of results that build it. It's like, you know, they're winning consistently. And then so what happens is, you know, they have a, a conscious goal for years and years. I want to be number one. I want to be the champion. And that's their 5% conscious. But then by them having these results that actually align with that, because mm. the subconscious is wired by emotion, when they actually get the win and they get that emotional high, the subconscious gets wired to go, oh, yeah, you, you know, you might be this guy. And then they get another one. And there's just more and more affirmation that this is who I'm becoming. And then over time, they get to a point eventually where it's, I'm a guy. Because you know there's been a lot of champions in sports that they win one title and then a second or third the next year. You know, you can think Osborne, you can think Anderson, you can think, um, you know, Webb where he's at at the moment. You know, they win a title, then they're kind of second or third. Or, you know, Roxon wins one and then he's back down. There hasn't been a dominant guy in the, let's say, AMA 450s over the last uh, 10 years, really, Yeah. in that shift. You know, there was a Villapote, there was a RC era, then the Villapote, then the Dunge era. And in that way, the reason that they get to that point is because their subconscious around their identity says, I am the guy. And in the way I speak to my athletes, I'm the fucking guy. And yeah. if you back in the day that the TGO, the great outdoors, there was, and I use this example so much. There's a clip of Stewie when Stewie goes from on the one, two, five to the two fifty two stroke in the four fifty class. And he goes, man, I used to look left. And this is a terrible American accent, but fuck it. <laughs> I used to look left and I used to look right. I've got everyone covered. Now yeah. I look left and I see Carmichael. I look right. I see Wyndham. I'm like, I'm screwed. And so he's in, in that right there is the perfect example. His identity in the 125 class was I'm the fucking guy. Like, yeah. you put anyone against me, I am going to dominate them. I can have a flat tire. I can you know, the races where he went from dead last to first yeah. and won. He, he was exact like he was that guy because his identity was I'm the fucking guy. You might you guys may as well go home. That's just how it was. He had that level of confidence. And that's the power of the identity because when you get there, it's like you could have rocked him up on a TTR one two five and he was still in the state of like, I'm gonna smoke these boys. Yeah. That's that's where he's at in that level of belief because he's had the results that have built to the point where his subconscious is like that's just who I am. Yeah. Then he goes into the 450 and there's these other guys. So now he's got the conscious goal of I'm, you know, I can be the guy, but there's a subconscious of like, I haven't raced these guys before, so I don't have the same depth of belief. And that's where that challenge comes in. He's going up against now Carmichael, but Carmichael's been dominating these guys for years already. So Carmichael is a superior dude and he's like, I'm the guy. Even when Stewie lines up, I'm still the guy. Stewie's fast, but he crashes his brains out all the time. He's like, I am the fucking dude. And the same thing for Carmichael. He went from that CR250, that factory Honda that was like the, the god of bikes back then to that bucket Suzuki a year later. And he still went and dominated. Why? Because he was like, 
I am the guy. Now, that Suzuki yeah. that he was on, pretty decent. But compared to the Honda, it was night and day difference they spoke about. But yeah. he was the same thing. He could have rocked up on a 85 and be like, I'm still going to win. Yeah. And that's where that subconscious is so strong that the result will come from itself because their intention and their belief is so strong that it's like, I will just pass those guys. That's just how it is. And yeah. the, 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 in this process where we were getting to and using this example is you can rewire someone's subconscious into, well, technically the way we do it is by repetition and by emotion. Most coaches talk about repetition, do it over and over again, but there's also the emotion side, which is actually more effective. But in the sense of let's talking about an athlete here, yeah, or you know, let's say an off-road guy or a motocross guy, or in that way is they can become I'm the guy, the identity of I'm the goat, I'm the champion, or whatever it is, through results-based repetition, which is the hardest way to go about it, because that means you've got to win over and over and over with a subconscious that says, you know, you're pretty good, but you're not the guy yet. Yeah. And then through that process, they then have the identity of I'm the guy, which is a hard way. The way I'm going about it now is I'm reverse engineering the process. My guys are third to fifth and I'm rewiring their subconscious. I'm the fucking guy. So they're going up on the weekend and, you know, they might be finishing third to fifth, but it's like, hey, it's not the outcome and result right now. You keep nailing your process every single day. You will get there. And that's, you know, what we've seen as, you know, I've, I said to you before the potty, I can't mention directly names, but, you know, you've, you've heard them. Yeah, you know that's you've you've seen that, and that's what's happening. And it's it's solely because we're doing the the process in the, the um in that way. You identify, you set the identity and the subconscious in that process first, and it's not by the results that they're rewiring their brain to go. That's who I am. It's by the daily actions they're taking. They do their breath work. They do their meditation. They do their journal. You know, they do their ice bath or they do their sauna or they go for that piece of work. Or they do that bit of recovery. Every single thing that they're doing that they're checking that box is confirming to them, this is why I'm the guy. Because in this sense, and this is the perfect example for the athletes, I know that this will be an audio. So I'm going to use my arms here as a visual, but I'll explain it in audio terms. So right now I have like, imagine two pylons or two pillars that are separate. One is your conscious goal, your conscious desire. Now, everyone in their life has conscious desires. I want to be the champion. I want to make X amount of money. I want to have this car. I want to ride this team. I want to have this partner, so on and so forth. Then on this other pillar over on the left, my left arm is their subconscious, which says, I'm a this place guy. I'm a this money guy. I'm a this good looking guy. So I get this missus. I'm, you know, I drive these kind of cars. Their subconscious is here. Most people live their life wanting more than they have not because they're not trying, but because their subconscious is holding them in that pattern. It's like a holding pen and they want, 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 but they never actually get there. And, the, and you know how I said about rewiring the subconscious, one through emotion, two through repetition. What we do through this, you know, with the identity is we take the, we get clear on what are their conscious goals? What do you actually want? Right? Okay, sweet. We've got all of that. Now let's rewire that into your subconscious. So you actually get that because the subconscious does the work for you because it's who you become yeah. so what we do is we find out okay what are your desires righto that's that's what it is for you to get that what would you need to do and then we have our list of the things that need to be done morning evening and during the day each day and we set that out in like a tracker a checklist now every time they're ticking that box not getting the result not winning on the weekend or whatever it is it's the ticking of the daily habit 
but doing the small thing, eating that food, having that call with Benny, you know, doing that strength session. Every time they do that, because the action is aligned with, you know, what was their conscious desire is now becoming a subconscious. It's affirming. I'm doing this because I am this guy and I am in reverse. I am this guy because I do this. And it's building that belief without them having to get the result and to go and win. So you're building that in a way that they become so rock solid and sturdy in their belief that it's only, it's literally only a matter of time. And, and I mean that because I, and I'm proud grateful to be able to say, because I've seen it with it, you know, people in from whether it be a pro athlete to, to the other guys I've worked with in the business space or in the healing space, you just see it. And it's just like, I expect it now, but when you're, you're still seeing it play out and happen, you're like, Holy shit, this is nuts. Like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. So, yeah, I, I hope that answers the question. <laughs> oh, it does, man. Absolutely. So I guess they're like the first step for some people potentially. Like I've, I've heard you mention this before, that mindset is secondary. Mindfulness is primary. Yeah. Yes. So being aware of that mm-hmm. in the first instance, right, like that there is actual that I'm a second place or I'm a third place guy is actually there. And it's actually, that's what's holding you back. Yes. So what it is, is, is it's exactly right. It's a self-awareness first Yeah. to then, because it's, you know, I use the example of a GPS. So you're in Yakandanda. I'm on the Sunshine Coast. We both want to go to Darwin. Okay. If, if we just type in Darwin, we both got the same goal. We want to get there or, you know, same thing. We both want to be world champion we have two completely different paths because you're going from a different destination. Now, if, if we set it from Adelaide to Darwin, we're both screwed because we don't know, you know, we don't know how to get there from Adelaide. We're in a different spot. So yeah. we not only need to know for a GPS to work, we not only need to know where we are going, but where we are. And it's the same thing. If you don't clear up those subconscious, what we call blind spots, which is we don't know what we don't know. And so a blind spot is everyone else can see it, but we can't see it for the most part or, you know, quality coaches can see it and we can't, is that until you clear up those subconscious blind spots, they will continue to run your pattern or run your path and your your conscious desires will remain there, but you won't get there. So, yeah, the first part is having, you know, becoming aware of what are these subconscious limitations that I do have, what are holding me back, clearing those out, and then we do the work on where are we going. So it's it's a, like a, a process to go through um what i typically do with people is find out okay with athletes i go you know we go through what do you desire outcomes i don't call them goals there's specific reasons so if i gave that quickly now when people think of a goal they think of like this big thing that needs to be achieved and they think action steps so they think like hard work sacrifice you know stress to get there and it creates a subconscious pattern already where they're they're lacking the motivation because they think of it as such a big deal i i label them as it's a project and it's an instruction manual. Because if I gave you a Lego set and said, here's the Lego, here's the instruction manual, go do it. You just do it because there's not a charge to it. But if I said, here's the goal and here's the action, people are straight away like, oh, there's a bit, you know, it's a bit to this. So a lot of it's about framing the subconscious. But we get clear on first on what they desire as an outcome, not, not because that's the best way to go about it. I don't do that with people that aren't athletes. That's the last thing we do. But with athletes, because they're so driven, that's what helps them click and they get that buy-in. Yeah, yeah. We do that first. And then what we do is, yeah, okay, if that's what you desire, sweet. 
what is the feeling that those things bring you? Because everything that we do based on an outcome or achievement or an external is not actually for that, for the mm-hmm. outcome, the achievement or the external. It's the feeling we get from it. Why mm-hmm. do people want to be world champion? It's the feeling they get from being world champion or the feeling they get from having that you know, next to their name or being able to say, I'm a world champion. It's the feeling. Why do people want the car? Not for the car, but the feeling they get driving the car, you know, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. We get that idea in that um, we get clear on the feeling. So the system, number one, first and foremost, is based around fulfillment, not achievement. Because how many people are there that are billionaires around the world that are committing suicide every day because they have all the money in the world and they aren't fulfilled? Literally, I had a conversation with a guy last week, multi-millionaire, huge, huge, huge international business. Um, Hates his fucking life at the moment, straight up. Like, it sucks. I I, I don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. And he's got the dream life that most people look at. Oh, my God, he's got the car, he's got the money, he's got the house, he's got the wife, the kids, the companies, rah, rah, rah. He hates it. Why? Because he's not fulfilled. He's got achievement without that. And so we focus, number one, first and foremost, on fulfillment, enjoying the process, enjoying the journey, enjoying ticking the boxes. Because when you do that, you're going to have a long-lasting, sustainable career. Because then it's not about the win or the loss. It's about nailing the process, and you will get there. So from there, with the fulfillment, then we go across to, okay, with, with that set in, what are the, you know, once you've got the, the feelings that you want to experience, what are the blind spots that are holding you back from experiencing these things? Then we clear out the blind spots and basically do the house cleaning, which takes a, a quite a period of time because most of the time our blind spots are emotion-based and people aren't too great at feeling into emotion. Most people go, oh, emotion, fuck that, go back to my head. So that's yeah. where the coaching comes in of being able to, you know, use the right words in the subconscious way to enable them to feel into things. And then from there, once you clear out the blind spots, it's like, righto, who is the person that is that champion? What what does that person do? So there's like a, a system and a structure to it, but it's different from someone that's working to be a world champion to someone that's wanting to grow their business or someone that's, you know, healing their body. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's epic, dude. <laughs> so, like, we didn't really get down that far with your story. Like, do you want to perhaps share whilst we're on that, like, how, like, what you just spoke about has allowed you to overcome your health issues? Yeah. Yeah. So, because it's a pretty uh, good example of the power of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess because I've been it every day, I you know you have that like, oh yeah, you know, I'm just doing my thing. But okay, I get it. I get what you mean. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so who I was before. So my identity in the past was, I am the fucking hardest worker in the room. I will be the smartest. I will be the best. I will dominate in anything I can. And I needed that because with without me achieving, I felt I was like a failure as a as a as a man, as a boy. And that came from my childhood conditioning from bully, which was, you know, you're weak, you're vulnerable, you're inadequate if you're not achieving something. Like that's what I was told by the bullies in, in a roundabout way. You know, you're chubby, fat slob, you know, you don't have any friends and you don't fit in with us. So what did I make that mean? My story again and the meaning we make of it was I'm weak, vulnerable and inadequate as a, as a human being 
unless I'm doing. So my whole life from the age of like 10 was like, okay, I got to go do more, achieve more, be smarter, be to protect myself. And so I worked so hard and was, I'm so grateful that I achieved and got to experience incredible things at such a young age with the commentary, with the journalism, with managing the teams and, and stuff like that, like from 13 to 18 to teaching at uni at 21 and all of those things. But my whole identity was around me, me achieving and me doing. And I worked, basically worked so hard that I didn't see my family. I didn't see my friends. I didn't have friends because I was only ever really working. I slept like three hours a night and basically trashed my body and burnt my body so hard that it put me in hospital in 2016, just before the start of the MX nationals. And I was in hospital for two weeks, like three days before abortion when I was supposed to be commentating for the live stream. And, and, um, and back then they, you know, they kind of just said, you know, you've got an acute bout of quote unquote colitis, which basically what it is in a medical diagnosis is when my immune system is so jacked up from all the stress that it attacks my intestines picks a spot and then goes after that you know any same as any autoimmune condition rheumatoid arthritis or ankylosing spondylitis or or you know type um type 1 diabetes things like that all autoimmune based and my that's what happened then and then i got some heavy medication well now that i know it was quite light medication and heavy for most people but for what i've been on now it was pretty pretty straightforward and it was like someone taking panadol compared to you know endone or whatever it is so um I was sweet for a couple of years and then basically I was, you know, I was teaching at uni. I uh, was running the mentorship programs, consulting with athletes online, training athletes in the gym, and then you know, trying to train myself and manage a relationship. And I burnt myself back out and ended up in and out of hospital again for two years. And the, the short version of the long was I got my body to a point where it was so trashed for so long that I had two near death experiences. Um, September, 2019. Now that I look back, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have died. Um, because I was in the hospital, they probably would have been able to save me. But when the doctors tell you you've got 24 to 48 hours to live and you're by yourself and your family are down south and your mum's on speakerphone when they tell you this, she's fucking traumatised, distraught. Like, it's a lot. There's a lot of trauma in that. Yeah. And then I was was trying to manage my health and, and build it back. And at that point, I was on chemotherapy and leukaemia-level medication with blood infusions and, and um, um, artificial infusions like every four weeks. And I wasn't basically the, the, what ended up happening was they contacted me in March, 2020 and said, look, you're, you're a non-responder, which is to say that's not helping. You're not getting any better, which when you're in that situation and, and you're like, I'd, I'd been questioning it for a while because obviously the health, my own training and an understanding and everything and, and research was we can heal ourselves innately. We have this capacity to, I'd, just I'd listened to Dr. Joe Dispenza's work and Dr. Bruce Lipton's work and, and heard of these people that had been able to heal themselves naturally. And I thought this is possible, but there was so much fear in me from what all the doctors and the surgeons and the specialists said that I was like, the med I can't survive without the medication. I'm going to lose my intestine or I'm going to die. And when you've got that level of fear, it's, it's, you know, pretty paralyzing in that way. And, and you know, I got to the point where they gave me that call and said, I'm a non-responder. And that's when I was like, I made a, a very scary decision three days later where on the, the 28th of March um, last year, 2020. And I was like, I'm, I'm stopping all medication, all of it. And I'm going to heal myself naturally. I know it can be done. And it was, there was two weeks there where legitimately I was writing a letter home to my family every night where I was like, I'm not going to make it through the night. And that continued on for like four or five months. I was in the care of my mum and dad for six months of last year and I couldn't eat. I couldn't walk. 
I was down to 52 kilos. Like I was lighter than I was in primary school uh, and I was 25. And like, so I was in a bad, bad way. My kidneys were shutting down. My liver was shutting down. Um, and I got, I got to this point where because of what had happened, my whole life was based on achievement. My whole life was based on getting to this point, you know, of, of success in business or career or, or finance or whatever it was, it was all based on that. And, you know, being seen as Todd, the hardest worker or Todd, the motivational guy or Todd, the guy with all the energy, my whole identity was caught up in that. That's who I was. So when I had to, when I was so unwell, I had to stop the business completely. I was no longer able to train. I wasn't able to, I didn't, I lost all my, fr- you know, my, my quote unquote friends. Cause they were all really just business relationships up here. Um, pretty much my entire now what I know was my identity was stripped away from me and I was down in Victoria and this is probably like July last year August last year and and I kept coming back to like this question of who who am I like who am I now and there was nothing to me there was I I had my family in Victoria and I have my the place that I'm renting at on the Sunshine Coast and that's there all there was there was nothing really else to Todd Jarrett everything had been stripped away. I kept coming like every single day. I was like, cause all I was doing at this point was breath, breath work, meditation and journaling, reading every day. That was it. That's all I really could do. And so there's a lot of deep introspective work. And obviously over the years, I'd done a lot of personal development, a lot in the mindset space through courses and programs and seminars and investing in coaching. And, and I was like, I haven't changed my actions consciously. I haven't changed my beliefs or my, my behaviors haven't changed my values, any of these things consciously, but I don't know who I am and I am a completely different person. Yeah, It's when I had this realisation that there's something below all of those things and that is at our core, the deepest part of our subconscious mind is our identity. And when I had this realisation, it's like, okay, if, if I want to recreate my life from you know near death and losing everything I've ever worked towards and creating and what I knew and who I was, I was like, honestly the identity system that i've created now was a selfish way a selfish method for me to go how do i recreate my life from the ground up how do i create what i actually desire from a place of feeling and fulfillment first and foremost because i realized when i lost everything my life was fucking empty and meaningless i was like i never had time for my family i did all of these things worked so hard nearly killed myself twice and Like now that I am, none of it really matters at all. None of these things matter because I didn't have the feeling of fulfillment. It was all based on the external. So the number one thing was like, okay, I want to learn how to rewire my subconscious through this process. So number one thing was, okay, how do I make a a system that is repeatable and accountable to myself that I can rewire my subconscious to emotion and repetition and ensure that who I desire to be and become is achievable through a process that I can be accountable to myself and I'm not, you know, losing my way because I'm losing track. You know, when most people set goals, I get a quarter of the way through the process and they lose sight of the goal and lose sight of the track. It's like, how do I ensure there's a path and how do I keep on it each and every day? And so I created this system. I created a set of of questions, which were, you know, because a question, you know, we have affirmations. I am this. The issue with affirmations is that our subconscious doesn't believe it it actually refutes it and it's like a you know an overweight person standing in the mirror going i am skinny i am skinny i am healthy 
subconscious is under there going, you know, that little voice of, no, you fucking not, you fat shit. Like that's, that's what happens. It refutes. It actually wants to fight it. And even when you repeat it over and over again, because I can do this, my old affirmation back in the day was I am strong. So that flies out of my mouth, but it's a conscious belief, not subconscious because I'd say it, say it, say it. And it's like, it's subconsciously wired in, but because it's not emotionally held, it's just a statement. It doesn't actually hold weight when something underneath it comes in. So think of it as like the layers of the onion. That's like the outer layer of the onion. He's like, I am strong. It's like a conscious affirm, affirmed belief. But if I, you know, go down to layer two and I rip that off, that's gone. Like I, I'm not, I'm strong anymore because something underneath it has come through. Yeah. So the subconscious, the deepest part of the subconscious. So you think the core of, of it, the core of the onion is the identity. So I was like, okay, if I need to go to the deepest part to ensure that no one can rock it or destabilize it or, or ruin it, I go to the identity. So I set these questions out where it's rather than saying, let's say, I am strong. It's like, why am I strong? And then what happens is because if I said to, you know, someone said to me, well, why are you strong? I go into that kind of like defensive place. Well, well, you feel the need to emotionally justify. If you're attacking, you know, if someone's attacking you, going, you why are you even, why do you consider yourself to be a good coach? It's like, oh, because of this and this and this and this, and I do this and these people don't know this and they don't know this and I've done this. It's like, that is emotion. That yeah. rewires the subconscious, but it's not just like an I am. It's I am this, and this is why, and that's what creates a deep belief. The You're why to yourself exactly, and that's where it links in with the actions because it's like why am I, you know, why am I world champion? Because I do this every day, and this, and this, and I do this thing, and I do this, and I do more than these guys, and more. Dude, that guy believes that he is going to become world champion. The results may not be there right now, but his level of belief in the action and the, and the nailing the process, ticking the boxes, he's going to get there. And so I set out these questions and I did that around health, um, mindset or consciousness, relationships, finance and career. And I have all of my questions set for that and I go through those every single day. Why am I this? Why am I that? Why am I this? And I'm just, and I'm explaining to myself, but what it also does is set my intention for the day. So if I go to have a conversation with someone and they're like, you know, they're in a negative place and they're attacking me. I've already got the intention. I'm a conscious, centered, calm, and objective being. So, and I already know that it's in my subconscious. So someone comes at me and go, but this is who I am. So I'm calm. You can, can be losing your lid and I'm sweet because this is who I am. And it's not a doing an action. It's a being. It's, you know, it's an embodiment. And this is the same thing. When it's a goal, it's outside of ourself. It's like, oh, I need to do these things to get to this point. But when you reverse and it's, this is who I am, you're not going outside of yourself. You're just embodying because this is who I am. If I'm, you know, if I'm this kind of a guy, these are the things that I do. It's secondary because for most people, they believe what I do creates who I am. But in the ultimate, when we reverse it, it's who I am creates what I do. So every single day I go through my questions. This is who I am. Then I have my tracker system, which you, if you read, if anyone listening reads the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, he has his tracker system and I, I've adjusted different tools that I've learned from all different people over the years to create my system. And this tracker, okay, this is who I am. What does this kind of person do? So then my system, my tracker, the things I do every morning, every evening, and then my daily items, every single time I tick that box, I exactly, because this is who I am. This is who I am. This is who I am. It's building that. And then the third part is as a, a journal I have, that aligns with the who I am, the, the tracker, and then also daily check-in. 
to, to the, the small things that align because it's set out in an annually, quarterly, monthly and, and weekly way. So you're always on track with your goals. You're keeping them in mind every single week. These are my monthly outcomes. And it's, it's broken down in a way that you're ensuring you're on track because that's the biggest thing I've observed with so many people. Again, is conscious goal on their right arm, subconscious position on their left and they're separate. And yeah. the reason that people have these conscious goals, if they don't keep their eye on them, even if you know they're not rewiring their subconscious, they, if they don't keep their eye on them, they lose track and then they lose motivation because they don't see the progress and they don't know where they're at. They don't know where their checkpoints are. So what I've done is the, the word I've used, and I've used this on, a, on another podcast, is it's unfuckupable. That's the way I've designed it. It's like if you get this system and you implement it to a T each day, you will get the desired result because it is unfuckupable because you are accountable to yourself. And if you are doing these things and you've cleared out those subconscious limiting beliefs, which is a part of the process, you will absolutely 110% hands down, guaranteed, no no question about it, you will get there. Yeah. And that's why, you know, this system, this identity system is like, I know I've gone through the hell that I have, which is, you know, going from the science side of things, being so mindset-driven, and so obsessive in that way, all achievement based to having this, you know, near death experiences and going to the complete other side of, you know, the spiritual and the flow and the fulfillment and, and experiencing this other side of things and then discovering the identity system and going, I've gone through this for a reason. There's a, there's an absolute definite reason that I've gone through the science and the spirit and gone through these experiences to come together to serve the world with this identity system because it's like, you know, just like you, the amount I've invested in coaches and mentors and, and guides and, and teachers over the last five to 10 years is is exponential. It's extraordinary. But yeah. nothing has ever given me something so clear, so concise, so efficient and effective and unfuckupable that I can I can speak of. And, you know, there's been, and this is part of my subconscious and I can speak vulnerably about is there's been parts and it's still challenging me that I go, I'm not worthy of this system because to me, I go like, obviously let's say we're going to Tony Robbins or we're going to John D Martini or, or we're going to these kind of guys that, you know, the elites of the world or, or Proctor or whatever I'm going, why have I discovered and created this? Why am I so fortunate to, to have this? Because these guys like Maxwell Waltz, they wrote the book psycho cybernetics, arguably one of the you know, godfathers of personal development in this day and age. Yeah, they, he speaks about self-image. Tony Robbins says that identity is the most powerful tool in the human existence. Martini speaks about it. They all speak about it, but no one actually implements it. They all work at the level of values of beliefs. Yeah, and and that's that's where I've had to work on it myself because I've gone, holy shit, I've got a fucking system that can transform the face of the planet if it, you know if you just follow the steps. But holy shit, why me? Like I've had to really battle with that. What what have you know, is this, am I really worthy of this system? Because yeah. it's like, I have such belief in it and I've gone, I'm, tw I'm 26. Like, is this what I'm supposed to give to the world? And this is my last mission. I feel like it is, but there's absolutely been that subconscious limiting belief. Like you really that, like, are you really at that level Todd? Like, cause you know, it's in that way to me, it's like, there's a comparison what Tony's done for the world or Martino or these kind of guys. It's yeah. Holy shit. If this is to me in that way, more powerful than that. And, and I say that with so much love and respect for those guys because they are my idols. Yeah. And, and I, in that way, it's like I don't want to compare myself and that's where that limiting beliefs come in. It's like you couldn't compare yourself to what they do or, you know, in that way. 
And I've really had to sit with it for, you know, for six months and I'm still sitting with it now because it's, it's not comparing to who they are and what they've done, but the, the system or the tool that they have. And that's where I'm like, I'm where I've come to in myself. It's like, this is not you, Todd. This is a system. And this is going to go well beyond you because my, my vision with it is I take it out to people. And obviously from then they're like, holy shit, this is so powerful. How do I share this with people? And then it's not Todd Jarrett. It's the identity system. And then we have identity coaches. And then it becomes, you know, a, a global thing where there are identity coaches around the world implementing the system. And that to me is how we make this massive change. So yeah. for me, it's like I had to go through having my entire life, everything I'd worked so hard for, and nearly losing my life. I had to go through that to get to this point and to have these realizations. And yeah. and to, you know, to have experienced it myself to the point where I've you know, I am where I am now with my health from, from knocking on death's door to this place of, of being able to serve all of these incredible people up here and have these connections and collaborations and be able to speak from this place with such passion and energy. Why? Because I've been able to rewire my subconscious to be, this is who I am. This is what I'm put on earth to do. And as I do that, it creates the ability for my body to, you know, go through that process of healing itself. And um, man, like, what I've, what I've been able to go through with obviously my gut and then my sense of smell. I didn't have a sense of smell for 25 years. It's like someone being blind for 25 years and then they do some work for a couple of weeks and they can all of a sudden see. It's like, holy shit, give me more of that. It's like, yeah. that's, that's you know, that's life-changing stuff and that's what's going on with my sense of smell. And obviously, as I spoke about with Dan before, where Dan's at with his body and 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 what he's doing with his, his recovery, um, when you're seeing it playing out, it's just like, that's kind of like where the repetition and the emotion comes in for me rewiring my subconscious. I'm seeing it happen and I'm getting my results now going, this is the system. So it's kind of like, you know, the, I am the guy for me, it's like, this is the system. This is the system. And I just keep seeing it. It's, it's why I could talk about it for 15 hours and still be (laughs) in the same energy, but yeah, yeah, man, it's, it's in terms of the, the the sport performance side of things and, and that it's, it's, it's knowing that, we can, if we have a, an athlete that believes that unless they've had three months of preseason training going into the first round, they're not going to be competitive. If they miss those three months of preseason, they go into the first round with a week on the bike and their subconscious like, you're not going to be competitive. They're not going to be competitive. Like it's just straight up. They're already telling themselves. They've already got that belief where shit, like I'm screwed. And I'm going through this with one of my athletes at the moment. And so what we're doing is we're going, okay, let's say you need to go to the first round and you haven't had three months. Worst case scenario, because that's a big thing I do is if we pre- if we have prepared your mind for the worst, anything better than that, you're sweet. So yeah. I've gone, if you have no time at all to train or be on the bike before the first, you know, this round of the world championship, you know, for example, how do we ensure you're going to go in there with the, the, the identity, the belief, the mentality, whatever you want to call it in that way, that. Oh, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to battle for race wins and for them to have that level of confidence and belief, because you know how much that plays out. If they're going onto the line and they're like, oh, I fucking got this compared to, man, I'm not even going to be close to competitive. I'm going to give it a crack. It's like, who's going to do better. It's like, if you've got three guys training for the Olympics, one guy's goal is to qualify for the Olympics. One guy's to get in the final and the other guy's training to win the Olympics. Like, pretty clear who's going to have the best result solely by their intention and what they're working toward and how they do it with their steps. And that's, you know, that's how I view it with, with all of these, you know, with every athlete now and seeing it is 
if we can rewire their subconscious in that way, I look at it now and I'm very obviously selective with my athletes because I don't want them competing against each other in that way is one thing. But in time, as this expands, we're just going to have like a whole elevation when all of these athletes are using it because they're going to be competing against each other. And then it's going to be like, who's done the work the deepest, who's felt it to most? Because yeah. that's in the ultimate sense. That is what rewires our subconscious the most, the level of the emotional belief. Because, yeah. you know, and this is one of the big things is, when people suppress an emotion, when they suppress a negative emotion, they also suppress their ability to experience a positive emotion because they don't have the continuum. It's like what you can feel on one side is the extent you can feel on the other. And that's not to say like objectifying, but that's to mean actually suppressing is athletes that have suppressed emotion don't have the capacity to feel as much. They don't have the capacity to rewire the subconscious as much because they need to feel to rewire it. If it's like you've got two guys standing side by side and you've got one guy going, I'm going to be world champion. And you've got the other guy, I'm going to be fucking world champion. I know it. I absolutely am. It's like, I'm going with you. Like I'm going with second guy. And, and that's because they feel it. So there's that more creative, that belief in it. And they're going to be the guy that will put themselves on the line. They'll do that extra mile. They'll, they'll reach out to that team for that position, you know, because they have that belief, you know, there's that, there's that, um, you know, how Cowie did it with Joe Shimoda last year that, you know, they had the trials. That's the guy that's going to be, I want to be at your trial because I know I'll be the guy. That's the kind of guy that he takes those actions. He makes those steps. And that's exactly why it pays off in that way. So one of the things that, you know, the part of the process is implementing breath work, as you know, from breath work, because it enables the subconscious to kind of clear itself. And one of the, one of the athletes at the moment, and I know he'll listen to this and he knows exactly who I'm talking about. (laughs) He'll laugh, but he, you know, he hasn't felt emotions since like, I don't even know if he really ever has since like primary school. And I've had to get him to tap into breath work because for me to rewire his subconscious in the way we need to, he needs to be able to feel. So we did a breath work um, a few weeks ago and he only met, only let me know last week. He's like, dude, what's going on? Like I'm feeling all these emotions. Like I was watching the Olympics and I saw someone win and they were crying and I nearly started crying with him. Like I was tearing up. I was like, oh, there we go. But for him, he was like, what the fuck is going on? Like this emotion stuff. I don't like this, but that's where I needed to explain. You need to be able to tap into that to have that level of belief because you're the guy that's like, yeah, I'll be world champion. I know I will be. But that level of conviction isn't there. It's the same thing. When Carmichael was on the line against Stewie, Stewie's got conviction against the one, two, fives. He gets up against Carmichael. There's not that same conviction. And that's what determined the difference. Like Stewie was fast, but he never, ever beat Carmichael in a full championship. Any, yeah. car, any, any championship that Carmichael ever finished in completion, he won. Villapoto was the same. Yeah, yeah. So actually, uh, oh, no, I believe there's one race he missed when the year that Canard won the 250 title, but I believe he missed one race. So still technically, yeah, he, any, any series that they actually finished fully, they never lost. So they're yeah. the guys. Mm. Yeah, for sure, man. Mm. So a question I really wanted to ask you, man, like on, on your story a little bit, knowing what, you know, this is just something that I guess has come up in my head. And uh, I guess I've asked myself with my journey a little bit, Mm. like my, my health issues definitely weren't as severe as yours for sure. But I've like, I guess, like I was thinking before, it's been 10 years pretty much since I started working on my health per se and I had a, like had a few red flags um so like the first thing I started on and I guess most people do is nutrition um and I 
I thought that nutrition is a thing, right? It's the, it's the root of all disease. If I get my nutrition on point, I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but with that also bought extra stress, like eating a certain way and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So then mm-hmm. I came to learn about stress. Um, mm-hmm. So that, um, I guess I learned how it affects the body, the immune system, et cetera, et cetera. So that was my next thing. Like, okay, stress is the root of all disease. I'm going, I'm going all in on stress management. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Then, I remember a while ago you mentioned about allostatic load. I was like, there he is. He's on it. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Dave O'Brien, my mentor who taught me all that cool stuff. But then like what I guess I've learned again in my own journey and listening to your journey, I'm like now is, is the root of all disease, the, the lack of acceptance of one's true identity pretty deep question but it is so give me a moment let me see that is the root of all disease the lack of acceptance of one's true identity If I was to give a black and white answer, I'll give a black and white first and then I'll give the gray. And, and I do that because I, I, I'm the kind of person that always wants to put it straight down to the absolute core, the guts of it. And the answer is yes. Is the root, of, root cause of all disease the lack of acceptance of one's true identity? Yes. Now, the reason for this and we're going to get a bit metaphysical here, which so for, for people at home, if they haven't heard the word a whole lot, basically means above the physical where emotions or our mental state creates a physical symptom. So, you know, it's easy for us to, so so many people think, oh, disease can't be caused by emotions. So when someone yells at you or wants to fight you and you go into that stress response of fight or flight and, you know, you get the shakes or, you know, you contract your muscles, your breathing changes, your heart rate spikes through the roof, that's a stress response. That right there is sending signals through the body, fight or flight, send out cortisol, send out adrenaline. They are inflammatory on the body. That right there is an acute bout of inflammation. And that acute bout of inflammation, when done chronically, is chronic bouts of inflammation. Chronic bouts of inflammation are disease. So that's that's a perfect example right there in terms of the metaphysical for people. And where that then links into with the identity, and because this is where I was sitting with it in terms of myself, 100%, because I was in a place that what caused it for me was I was in a place of force, trying to push, trying to push, trying to work, and doing something that wasn't really at my core. And by my core, I mean, you could say like your, your essence, what you're truly put here to do, the core of the onion, yeah? And so if we use that onion analogy, our true identity, we could also call like our conscious self, our higher self, our true self, like consciousness, spirit, essence, soul, whatever, you know, word you want to put with it. That's like a light. It's like, you know, an, you know, a bright light, but it's at the root of the, uh, the core of the young. And then we have our ego. Okay. Now our ego is our conditioned self, our limiting beliefs, our limiting stories, our past experiences, um, any negativity, just think any negativity or reactivity you have, is that's ego. Now, ego is the layers of the onion. So the more conditioning you have, 
the more layers of the onion. So the less that light can, you know, if you think that light's so strong, you got one layer around it, you can still see quite a lot of light. You got 50 layers of onion, you can't really see that light. So most people have so much yeah. ego because they, you know, haven't been through pulling apart, you know, doing the work. They don't actually know what their true self is. And that was me. I was so conditioned that I was in this, this place of work that, it was, it was force. It wasn't flow. I was, you know, I was knocking on doors, knocking on doors. No one had opened up, keep knocking. No one's opened up. Fuck it. I'm going to break that thing down. So I do that, but it's all from force and it's where you are. Whereas when you, you know, as you go through this process, you pull back the layers of the onion, you get to see what do I actually feel like within? What do I really feel I'm supposed to do? What am I, you know, those kinds of things. It's like what, what happens then is when you get into this state of becoming, you know, finding more of this, and it's always a journey, it's always a continuation, becoming closer to your true self, your, your true identity, is you're pulling back those layers of the onion, you're getting closer and closer to that light, it's starting to shine through more. And that's when, you know, these things start to align, as it has for me, all of these incredible people coming into my life, it's just flowing to me at the moment, like I'm not reaching out, which is amazing. Yeah. But it's because my light is kind of shining through now without the layers. And what then happens is, you know, I'm not needing to go and knock on a door or eventually break it down. I'm like, oh, there's an open door over here. I'll walk through that. Boom. That's exactly what I want. And then it's, you know, this other thing where the you might knock on a door and it doesn't open. And you, you take, you know, this is something that I only spoke about yesterday to someone. I said, I want to share this damn message with the world. And that is, I used to be the guy who was knock on that damn door till it breaks which was epic. It sounds so motivational. So it sounds so David Goggins. Yeah, Jocko Willink. Rah! But it's not energy efficient. It doesn't really serve you. And if you just take that moment to sort of step back from that door and look around, you go, oh, there's a door open just here. And you walk through that door. And that's typically the door that, you know, you're supposed to go through. When I used to hear this stuff, I was like, dude, that's such spiritual bullshit. And it, I'd ref you know, I'd refute it. I'd oppose it. And again, I had to, this is why I feel like I've gone through what I have gone from being the science guy, being, you know, going through the uni degree, teaching at uni and physiology and, and all of that side of things to then going to the opposite and going, holy shit, this stuff's real. Like this, this side of things is real. And, and when we're in that place, you know, when we have the layers of the onion and all of that ego, we're in that place of force and force just think is like resistance. You're working against something. It's like, you know, you're shifting up gears on your bike first, second, third, fourth, fifth. You're your top gear wide open. But you got your front wheel parked against a wall. You're just wearing out that rear tire. Yeah. So you're just doing a big burnout. It's like sitting on a dyno, you know, your top gear on, on Witten's dyno or whatever. You're not moving. It's yeah. it's the same kind of thing. When you're in that force, you're putting in so much work, the revs are so high, and you're not actually moving forward. And that's burnout because that's force, resistance, stress on the body without progress. Stress with progress is development you know that's like you go and train and then you have progress from that you have that that development but if you don't have the recovery period after training you don't have that you know the same progress it's the same kind yeah. of thing and so what you just asked that is a i'm gonna after this podcast i'm gonna literally sit with that this afternoon and just really dip into it but black and white yes it is because because what what came up for me there was i know a particular female she'd had an incredibly healthy life and then she had a really messy she's in england We've never actually met, but she's obviously come to me and we've chatted quite a bit about these things. She had a really messy divorce and she was attached to her husband and he he left her. And so she went into partying and, and alcohol and drugs yeah. and lost herself. And then uh, had got 
diagnosed with ulcerative colitis and was really sick and then had a stroke not long later. And when we went through it, and then obviously I forwarded her on to, to Mitch Vicarage, the guy that you know saved me. Yeah. And I said to Mitch, this is what I believe has happened. And then, you know, it was the accumulative stress that occurred from the divorce and the emotional trauma. And then obviously what she did with the, you know, the, the alcohol and the diet and things like that. Yeah. Those things all together is what causes huge overflow, you know, the mass, you know, all the hospitalization and the stroke and everything. She'd never had a health issue before until, you know, this 12-month period. And this is typically what I find with people in with autoimmune conditions or disease or something that hits. I can just straight up ask the question, have you had something traumatic go on in the last 12 to 18 months? And they're like, well, I don't like to talk about it, but da, da, da. I'm like, straight up, clear that, and then it'll help you. And obviously there's an accumulation effect. Some people it's longer, some people it's shorter, um, mm. but absolutely. And so that's where, where it was arising with, with her was, was it that she wasn't, is what caused her disease, the fact that she wasn't a true identity? Obviously there was trauma, but what happened to cause it is she did like, you know, she lost herself. She, she went into partying and drugs and alcohol. That wasn't her old self. And she was trying to be someone else to try to get the partner back. That wasn't her. So it's like, yeah, as she stepped away from that, that's that cause because it's like, there's that light on the inside. That light is kind of, you could think of like that light is also our health that, you know, the light on the center of the onion, the conscious part, the more layers of the onion we put on the less that light can shine the more it's dim the less our health can really shine through and so 100 now whenever i speak to anyone with an illness or a disease or a condition i go okay what's been the trauma or what's going on that's not aligning with you and you know, one of the biggest things with with athletes as well um is the amount of stress and load they put on their body you know as you know like the amount of especially in sports like motocross and enduro and, and in that nature the adrenal fatigue in athletes is like through the roof. Um, And, and that obviously comes from the physical side of it, but then there's also the, you know, the mental aspect of it as well. So yeah, 100%. Good question. Oh, Oh, that's, that's by far the deepest question I've had on the podcast yet. I love it. Love deep questions. Well, that came into my, I was just, thinking about that man when i've like i've listened to a few of your other podcasts recently and yeah and like i say through my own journey like it's probably Mm. something that i truly think i've experienced myself to an extent um yeah and that's i just was thinking about that the other day driving along and thought i'm gonna ask toddy that because i know he'll have a sweet answer (laughs) yeah yeah dude it's that is a brilliant question and yeah i i genuinely do feel it because that the healing process that i've gone through you know, I guess I can only speak as an N equals one in that way. But if I then mm. think of, you know, the other guys that I've worked with in the health and healing space, they're the same thing. It's like we pull apart their subconscious. They realize who they really are at their core and then things just start happening. It's like the layers yeah. of the onion get pulled back. That light starts to shine through and, and you just, you see all these incredible changes in, in their body. Yeah. yeah. Oof. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. Um, so I'm mindful of your time, man. I know you haven't, we haven't got too much longer to go, but we kind of touched on it at the start, but what do you see that is lacking in Like we've been talking deeply on the mental stuff, but Mm. if we come back to the physical aspect of training in moto, like what, what are just some things off the, some low hanging fruit that you see that's missing in most guys' programs? Yeah. And now 
Now, I know that because, you know, as I've said, you're an educated, switched on, high quality coach. You know the shit, but so many people don't. And that's where I was like, I wanted to be able to, for you and I to speak, for, for me yeah. to be able to be another coach to say a few of these things. Yeah. But from from the principal background of, you know, going to uni and then teaching at uni, the teaching was like the biggest shift for me in understanding, you know, the science. Then when I went over to the US, what I saw was, The level at which they are at, let's say, for example, Stanford University, one of the highest level universities and sporting programs in the world, what they have, their sports medicine facility and their team is second to none, remarkable, mind-blowing. Like it shifted my view of performance ever since. And my time over there and my time away from Modo, I guess in, in what it's leading into is I realized that Modo in it, I thought Moto in Australia was still stuck in like the 1970s. And, and I say that with respect to, to, to most of the, the training side of it. Yeah. And the, the issue that arose for me, this is, and this is a part of what I wanted to get across, was that I thought in the MXGPs and in the AMA, because they're, you know, we're the Aussies and we think, oh, my gosh, it's the pinnacle. They've got all these factory teams. They've got all of these personnel and professionals. I thought for sure they'd have it sorted. When I went to start working with these guys in the GPs and the, in the AMA, I, I only went in with the subconscious because that's, I said, that's, this is what I'm doing. This is my focus. I'm not touching on anything else. And as we kind of got further through, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, you're still having all these issues. It was supposed to be cleared up ages ago. And then I said, look, I'm only working in subconscious. Can I ask a few questions? And then, you know, you ask the questions and you're just like, are you kidding me? You're doing this. You're doing, you're not, you're not doing this. You're doing that. What? Like yeah. to, to put it simply without going into each specific thing, motocross around the world. And I want the Aussies to know this too. America and Europe still fucking suck. They suck for the most part. And, and you know this because of the guys you're working with and how easy low hanging fruit can impact their performance and programs. What seems so simple to you in that way. Yeah. But, but the, it's, it's just that Moto is so caught in this, this principle that aerobic base and long cycling is the answer and that you've got to beat the freaking horse and work it as hard as it can to get, you know, to get guys to be fit. You know, you've got to go and to be the fittest guy, you've got to go and bust yourself until you can't walk. Get in the pain cave and be there all the time. They have no fucking idea about an adrenal gland. And all they are doing are trashing these guys. The two two of the particular guys I'm working with at the moment, the whole focus, like the first couple of months, is we need to fix your kidneys and your adrenals because you are shot. You've been on chronic fatigue and adrenal fatigue for two to five years and you haven't even known. Um, So number one is that, and I'm saying this from a scientific standpoint, because this is a big challenge in moto is that people go, oh, yeah, but this trainer's, you know, done a lot in the cycling space. Yeah, because they were a damn cyclist. Like yeah, we look exactly. at a lot of the guys in that exactly. space and most of the guys that are trainers now were cyclists. And a lot of the guys that are trainers of the teams in the U S were just races themselves and have just been passed on. Like without saying names, there's a couple of coaches for factory teams in the U S I know what their training was like back in the day. And I know how little they knew and they haven't changed a whole lot and they're still doing it. I'm going, are you kidding me? Like yeah. there's so much more bang for the buck that could be done. So number one is like long, steady state cardio people go yeah but i'm building a base okay 
tell me how that 120 beats per minute works out when you're at 200 in a 30 minute motor. Yeah, that really correlates across. It's like go and get a marathon runner to run a, you know, to run a hundred meter spin against Usain Bolt. Not a chance. But they're like, oh, but I've been doing so much running. It doesn't doesn't correlate across at all in that. So that's number one. He's like being clear that the whole aerobic side of it is is very misconstrued and i know that you've spoken about this so for your listeners i don't feel i need to go into the whole what is a better option because you speak about that so that's just number one i want for me right now in speaking in this way is i want to be candid about what doesn't fucking work and what is stupid and then from there i know you'll speak about it in, in your platforms anyway so number two uh nutrition and diet there are still so many coaches and trainers, even in the AFL, they go in their quarter time breaks and they're like, okay, give the boys a, a, a um, Zupa Dupa and a Coke. Why? Because it gives us quick sugars and carbs. So are you fucking kidding me? In terms of if we chat briefly on nutrition for a moment for everyone at home, you've got people that I'm going to kind of like layer it in the onion. So on the outside level, you've got people that don't care about what they eat at all, just, just eat food. Under that, you've got the calorie counters, okay? As long as they hit their cows, they're sweet. Under that, you've got the macronutrients, all oh, my proteins, my fats, my carbs. Got to hit those. That's like the bodybuilders. Under that, you go into macronutrients, the people are the micronutrients, I should say. And that's where you're going into, you know, okay, where's my magnesium? Where's my sodium? Where's my calcium? Where's my potassium? Where's my, you know, rah, 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 all of those things and your hormone balance and, and all of those. So they're looking at, at the, the micronutrients on, the, on the, you know, the nutrition label. And finally, under that, you've got ingredients. Now, what we typically find is in nutrition, most people kind of pigeon them, pigeonhole themselves into one area. And you know, a, lot of, a lot of trainers in this space go the macronutrient route. You get your carbs and, and your proteins and your fats and you'll be sweet. But if they're getting their protein from a piece of crappy meat compared to a piece of quality meat, then the nutrients, micronutrient status is completely different. If your micronutrient status is out, your adrenal glands don't function properly because your hormones and your neurotransmitters aren't in, in place. So you're going to yeah. trash your body over time. And then the same thing with like um, ingredients is if you're only looking at the macronutrients and you're like, oh yeah, okay, it's, it's you know, um, it's got a lower in fat. And, and it's lower in calories, okay, that's good for losing weight. But if you look at the ingredient that's got these crappy artificial additives in it, our body isn't designed to break down anything artificial. We don't have the enzymes made to do so. Powerade, so I want to touch on this right now for a moment. Powerade, the, the food colorings, the food dyes, are a petroleum base. We don't have the digestive enzymes within our body to break it down. They've done research and studies where people have homemade pasta and orange and cold pressed orange juice, and then they have you know two minute noodles and Powerade, and they look at the digestion when it's in the gut half an hour after consumption. The people that have had the homemade pasta and the orange juice have like just puff of foam in their in their gut because it's all broken down. The yeah. people that have the blue Powerade and the two minute noodles, they go into their gut with it, you know, with an endoscopy, the camera, and they've got dyed blue noodles that have like bite marks in them because our body isn't designed to break down all the artificials it's dyed blue because we can't get rid of the blue so you think about it it's like our body's sending out all of these additional pancreatic enzymes digestive enzymes and and bile and acids and all of that it's like just a big acid pit because they're trying to break down these things that it can't and that's when we start to get the gut issues that then lead to all of these other things so it's it's in that space it's like if you're eating whole foods with a focus on on things being organic and grass fed and, and those kinds of things, that's where you want to be. 
and trying to minimize the added sugars and the artificial anythings. And to me, the gluten, the dairy and the grains and the soy in that space. And, and this is where people go, oh, they're, they're, they're athletes, they'll burn it off. I'm like, that's exactly why they need it to be fixed. Because it's like, if you pour water into your bike, it's not going to run. It's not the same yeah. as petrol. Just because it goes in the same hole doesn't give it the same outcome. It's like, yeah, it's going in the mouth. It's not producing the same byproducts. And so that is huge because one of the biggest things, you know, there's obviously the mental and the, the stress side of it, but nutrition is literally what we're fueling it with. And a lot of the university qualified nutritionists and dietitians, and I say this with respect for the nutritionists and the dietitians that may listen to this, yeah. don't cut my throat. I've been on the other side. And this is where my view changes when I was teaching this stuff at uni was that at universities, it is so fixated on what the syllabus and the structure already is. Yeah. And it's so much based on government guidelines and government guidelines, as we know, pretty well suck. Yeah. So um, for me, I now look for, you know, for people that will go on the whole foods approach in that way. So um, that side of things is, is massive. And then I guess one of the, you know, in terms of the, the training side of things, you know, the amount of motocross riders that do the cardio and then they do their core circuit training, you know, they're doing their, Russia twists and their sit-ups and their crunches and <laughs> and it's it's like saying you know I know what you're like you're banging your head but I want to be another coach that's standing in your corner to go Ben is right Ben is so right like if anyone's listened and gone yeah I'm not sure I'm like if I can be an authority from the point of the science so damn correct that you know those things most of the time those exercises they're doing they're doing in a hip flex position which they're already jacked up and overloaded in and they're they're doing more abdominal flexion and things like that that's movement of the trunk when the number one thing they want on a dirt bike is a stable trunk where their hips and shoulders and elbow or hips and elbows really predominantly move that they want to be focused yeah. on and it needs to be strength training whole body based and yeah. core is about stabilizing the trunk not trying to move the trunk in, in that way, pr predominantly. And yeah, sure. so that's a big one because, you know, like I've just started with a young prodigy athlete um, and I, I know he'll listen to this too and he knows who I'm talking about, little freak, which is epic. He's going to be a future world champion, which is exciting. And, you know, when we first started, I said, okay, what do you do for your training? And he said, I sit on my cycle for an hour every morning and I do my leg kicks and my flutters and my, you know that. And I thought, like, okay, we're going to change a lot. And he's, <laughs> oh, oh, why is that? And then obviously explaining it. So that's, that's a, a big part of it. And then, with with the i guess what i wanted uh, I'm, I'm trying to work out how this is going to come across it's going to sound like i'm just complaining really and and having a, a dig but i want this to be really clear that just because someone and I, this is very much for the aussies just because it's a european team or an american team and they've got professionals doesn't mean they are great and this is what I've discovered firsthand from working with these guys is they're so far off the ball that it's saddening because these guys have lost years of their careers where they're pros now. Mm. It could have been fixed. You and I could have looked at it and probably fixed it within two weeks, not two and a half years. And so I want people to know that, that it is, it's, it's always hard because, you know, you've got these practitioners that just say a couple of science-y words and they're like, oh, yeah, he's so good because, you know, that would happen when I work with them. Oh, this, you know, this guy's worked with X, Y, Z or, you know, they've been with this person. I'm like, okay, ask them, you know, when they say these things, ask them why. And, yeah. you know, so they do and they're oh, like, they couldn't give me an answer. Okay, that's a red flag. 
like for me, my my yeah. my checklist is always ask them why, and get your answers, come back to me. Yeah. And then, you know, I can explain it because the big thing for me is always explaining the why and the logic so that they can have that trust. Yeah. And and for me it's it's um it's massive in that way that the that motocross in general has a long way to go and i'm grateful that we can be having this conversation because you're one of the few and far between that have been surrounded by people from other sports that are at a higher level that are so far ahead of moto in the understanding of things now i want to make one thing clear with this i'm not taking away from motocross athletes fitness capacities and their strength and everything they are fucking phenomenal they're there's a here's a statistic um that most people wouldn't be aware of with what i was doing at uni we actually got to test a lot of riders motocross has the highest motocross and supercross had the highest heart rates of any sport or activity we've ever measured in any athlete so apart from motocross and supercross running and the versa climber um, apparatus are the two that have never been beaten using any other modality um, of exercise nothing's ever topped them then we've tested with our number of athletes and no no athlete has ever gotten near what they do in motocross or supercross with anything else. So we're typically finding they're 10 to 12 beats higher. Usually motocross, we found on with our guys on average, they were 10 beats higher than they could get with running or versa climb or anything like that. And 12 beats higher with supercross. So our guys are remarkable because they push their body mm. beyond where anyone else can go. They are physical beasts. And that's where I now get the saying, like we have the most physically demanding sport because objectively factually statistically scientifically speaking we do as a result we need to get our guys working with you more guys working in that space that are with people that can actually bring the body out to be resilient to be strong to be mobile in the correct ways that will serve them so um the the one the the last thing i want to say in there is is presence so i know a lot of people have listened to the podcast on gypsy tales with rhino ryan hughes and he speaks about um carmichael and he says he knows carmichael's secret now it's presence could not agree more rhino's very switched on human in that way and um and it's one of the biggest things that i've observed you know if we, we think about um perfect example for those that have been watching the ama outdoors rj hampshire so fast and also mm. crashed in almost every race this year most of his crashes have been a front end that's been too high. He's coming into a, a rut or a berm and the front end goes over. Now, observing that, there's two things that I've spoken with my athletes about because we kind of break down other athletes to pick apart what works and doesn't work. We observe that one thing is, you know, he's, he doesn't run his finger on the front brake a lot, which means, you know, he can get in those positions where it's a bit off. Yeah. The second thing is I keep watching it. It's like he has a momentary lapse of presence. Now, what I mean by that is he goes from being, you know, when you're in the flow, it's you and the bike and you're just in it. You're not thinking, you're just doing it. You're in that zone. And then you have that momentary lapse where you're like, oh, where's the guy in third? Or where's that guy? Or, or you know, or podium position. What are the points in the championship? Or, you know, you have that. That split second lapse of focus, that's all it takes for you to go front end high, boom, down. Yeah. And so one of the biggest things that I'm working on with my guys is presence. Every time we're on a call, we're practicing present breathing. We're practicing presence in their daily practice and their process. Meditation, breath work continuously. Being present with other people. Now, people will go, oh, but, you know, that's external to the bike. You should see and you should hear from their feedback what it does when they get on the bike, when they learn to become fully present. Like, obviously, they're pros, so they're good at dropping into their state. Yeah. But every athlete still has those momentary lapses. And 
for a, a, a tool for athletes to tap into is in is practicing presence, sitting to be aware of your breath, because the more you can train it off the bike, the more it will transfer onto the bike. And that's been huge. So massive. Um, yeah, I'd agree, man. I think you're right. Even for the, just for the average dude, like that's what even more beneficial for them because they obviously don't get to race and ride as much as say the pro dudes. So, but you're with your breath every moment of every day. So yeah. you can practice that skill all day, every day, essentially. Yeah. If you're at work, you know, you're doing physical labor, be aware of the breath because the more you can train, just like, you know, the monks do, the more you can train yourself to be the breath, you are completely in control of your state. The same thing, you know, with the ice baths and everything that we implement. It's, yeah. um, it's incredible. There's, there's one thing, oh man, I'm like, that I, I want to share right now to, to at least drive home what I was saying about the identity and, and in a physical experience. So, um, uh, last year when I was down south and I got got to ride um, a while ago, I was at a Bell Reynold practice day and I had like, dude, I was like 55 kilos. I was like a stick and bone. Like I, ha- I hadn't really been able to walk, but I was like, I'm going to ride a dirt bike. And so yeah. I hadn't ridden a dirt bike in a couple of years. And anyway, I went to Bell Reynold to this practice day. And anyway, we're at the track and there was myself and this other fast guy that when we used to race, he used to smoke me and he's still racing now. And, um, and he's, you know, still a, let's say top 15 guy, probably in the country. And, um, and anyway, we were out riding and, and I'd taken off and in the, in the in practice day, we were all sort of taking off at, at our, off the gate. And I went first and I'm lapping around and we might be 10 minutes in and, and then he, this guy starts to close on me and I'm like, Oh, it's happening again. Okay. You know, you know, power like my childhood, you know, the conditioning was coming back and I hadn't been yeah. on a bike for years. I'm like, oh, here's a red ribbon again. So this guy's catching me and guy catching me in and gets to me, passes me, pulls away like, you know, the length of a, you've been to Bar Arnold, the length of the Bar Arnold start straight in like two laps. And I came out under the to the Bar Arnold start straight, like, you know, there's two laps later. And because obviously I've done a lot of the work and I understand the mind and everything, it all happened in like, you know, two seconds, but it felt like this whole thing just unraveled. And I'm coming out of this turn, obviously me and myself and because I've you, know, you don't really lose your speed, so to speak. So we'd obviously pulled away quite a bit from everyone else. And I had this moment of like, as I'm coming out of this turn and I was like, who's to say this guy is still faster than you? Like it's been seven years since you've ridden with this person, like with this guy. He might be still riding and training out. And you haven't been on a bike for years, but how does that matter now? Like this came up and then it was like, you're just being ridden by your old conditioning. You're just going back into your know, 15 year old self when you're, you know, racing junior nationals with him. Righto. And then, so I had this moment of, this is just my conditioning. This is just my bullshit mental story. This is not what I'm capable of right now. I don't know what I'm capable of right now. I haven't been on a bike for, for years. And it was like this moment of all of these years of being shackled down into the, the red ribbon guy, yeah. to being a second or third place guy, or whatever it was, just fucking let go. And it was remarkable it was amazing it was like i went in it was like the fastest by far i'd ever ridden a dirt bike i was so smooth so fluent and i was like i was coming into turns i'm like holy shit how am i gonna cut like come out of this it was like this you know that disbelief because the subconscious was like whoa what's going on and within like a lap i'd caught back up to this guy passed him pulled away and i came in and my dad was like what the fuck happened to you and family friends that, were, that we were there with that day they were like holy crap like 
you need to go race a national. That was nuts. Like, you know, just, just by physically watching how fast. And they were like, what happened? Like at the 10 minute mark was like, you, something changed. And I was like, holy crap. I fucking get it. Like I was like, I was still processing it. I was like, I just let go of all the BS stories. And I was like, I can actually ride into my true potential now without all of the conditioning. Yeah. And obviously, you know, my, my health hasn't given me the capacity to go back and race. And that was, it was after that, I put up a post a while later where I said, I want to work with athletes that have the potential to be world champions because I know that I have the tools to enable them to do so. Because if I haven't ridden a bike in that many years, I haven't even exercised in two years. I have no fitness, no strength or power about me. I'm a stick and bone and I can go and do that just by letting this go. I was like, dude, what can we do with these athletes? And this is like the, the proof in the pudding for people that, if you saw it on that day, you, you, it's like it's almost like I would have pulled up behind a berm, got some pro rider to jump on my bike, and they take off. It's like that's how big the difference was. And it was that day where I was like, holy crap, there is so there's something to this that needs to be implemented. And it was actually after that that I that's when I reached out to one of the, the pro guys in the US. I said, we need to work together. There's something here for you. And obviously, he's gone from – Nelly being, you know, retired in the sport to, you know, being a top two, top three guy in, in the AMA. Um, yeah. And that was the same kind of thing, having to just remove some conditioning. And, um, yeah, dude, it's when that subconscious can be freed up, to, you know, if we were to use the word of like that true identity, it is incredible what the body can do. Because remember, the, the mind sends a message to the body. Your corner speed isn't dictated by how strong you are. It's dictated by what you think you can handle. You know, if you've, if you've never been able to drag a bar, you're like, I don't know about that. But if you let go of that and I'm going to go for it, it's, 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 you just have, it's like that limitless capacity opens up dude, it's remarkable. I had another similar experience in, in December at just around new year's this year. There's a jump back in hay that was two tabletops. It was top gear on a 450s, fourth gear wide, click fifth to jump it. And, you know, obviously growing up with Charlie and Charlie still continued racing. We never, we never jumped it. I had Whittens and the, the junior guys we used to ride with back in the day came to Hay. No one ever hit this jump because the up ramp on it had like a, a, a whoop in the up ramp. So it was like you'd compress your suspension first, then it'd unload as you'd hit the lip. So it'd like send your nose high. And so no one had ever hit it because the up ramp was sketchy. And I was on my brother's like two, my brother-in-law's like 2009 model, like KX450 that had like a, the bars were like twisted and you know you know one of those bikes that just sat in the shed for five years same thing i'd been pretty unwell at this point and i and i saw this jump and i'd done everything else on our on our practice track and i came back to it and i was like and and i know like charlie's never hit it no one else has ever hit this jump you know he's a he's a handy rider yeah you know and and um and he's same thing he's like no dude it's too sketchy like that up rev's nuts and so then I was like, I came to it. And this is after I'd had that experience at the, at the practice day where I was like, this is all mental. This is all mental. I was like, okay, so if I coach someone else through doing it, how would I coach them? Because then you objectify, you put yourself in the third person and your bullshit excuses disappear. It's like, right, well, if I was coaching someone else, I'd go jump the table first, then, you know, jump between the two tabletops and then try to jump into the face. Okay, I'm going to do that. And then it's like, if you feel it, what would I say? Hit that berm as fast as you can. Take every bit of speed you can and just hold it south, wide open. That way it's not a matter of if you'll make it, it's how far you overjump. And it was just like this, same thing. I still hadn't exercised after this. Like the last bit of exercise was probably the last time I rode a bike, which is probably four months before when I was at that practice day. 
And my uncle and my cousin and my partner at the time were there. And they were like, you're not going to hit that thing, are you? Because it's it's big when you're looking at it. Like, it's yeah. sketchy. And I've hit, you know, big, back even when I was racing like, the Yami 450 and Pro Open, I still never touched this thing. And I was like, so I've come around and I've just gone through it and I've coached myself through as I was coaching someone else and literally to a T. And I'm like, fourth year wide open, click through, roll. And I'm like, midair. And yeah, I'm nose high because I was like, it'll send me nose high. And I was. And then there was this moment of, you know, when you're kind of like you're floating, it's like that time stops. I'm like, holy shit, I'm doing it. And then there was that, oh, fuck, now I've got to land. So then there was that, like you tapped the rear, brought it down and landed it. And that was like that, another one of those confirmative moments that just were like, dude, you've never jumped this before in your life. You have no capacity on a dirt bike now. There's no reason you should be doing this. And you've just gone and done it because you unlocked this part of the brain. And, and let that story go, that fear go, because you've gone into this space of like, it's possible, you just need to coach yourself through. When that subconscious opens up, it is nuts. And that's why I'm, I just won't shut up about it because it is so powerful what it does because then the body just listens to the mind. And that's the same thing. It just applies in that way. So for the people that have listened to me explain that, thank you. Because honestly, it's like one of those, when you experience it, nuts just one of those things where it's like if it can do this for me and i haven't been on the bike for this long what can it do for someone that has real potential to you know to become a champion if they they unlock that part and so it's man i'm i'm so excited because you know i'd love to be able to have you go through the system and then you be able to implement it with your guys and just watch what it does when you put that with the level of training you're doing and the nutrition and everything it just it excites me so much so yeah dude i'd love to <laughs> that's what i was going to say it is exciting because that's like there is dudes out there that don't have access to this and like you just like we we're just saying aren't training properly either and yeah. like they've got they've got so much skill and so much potential so mm, yeah give them a bit of that low-hanging fruit in these areas and then boom they're like next level yeah and I, I, I love the underdogs too because, you know, you, like you and I, we, we relate to them because we were those guys. So yeah. I love taking a guy that's close but not quite there and then enabling them to get to that because it's like it's yeah. the most fulfilling experience because now I know from Dan, it's like these guys could end up being the same. But if we could have made that switch with Dan 15 years ago, you know, his career would have been completely different. It's like now I have that retrospect with someone else. I can apply it with these young prodigies and these pros. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. beautiful thing, brother. It is, man. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> what a chat. <laughs> oh, um, I love it. Is there anything else you'd like to just leave leave on before we sign off? I know we've gone a little bit over time, so. If you're listening to this and you have any questions um, about this, you know, the, the subconscious side of things, shoot me a message and I'll always help however I can. You know, like I'll send you, if you send me a message, I'll audio you back and at least point you in that, you know, in a direction that could help, you know, to some resources or tools or whatnot. Yeah. Um, but I guess in what I said to you before the podcast about what I wanted to share and in, in being candid and honest about, you know, the moto industry is, the people that are listening to this, if you're working with guys that you've ever had a question or a doubt about, or you're not sure, or you even want a second opinion on, on what they're doing, 
reach out to, to someone like myself or to Ben and, and just in that way ask, hey, does this add up to you? And if, you know, if the answer is no, then say why. Ask why always. That is my, my number one um, point for credibility for professionals is can they explain why? And if not, then I'm not, I'm not on board. And that's the biggest thing for me is I always want people to ask me why because I want them to know that there's reasoning. And so with that, you know, if, if they, you know, if you guys came to Ben or myself and we said no and then you said why and we explain, take that. And then if you were going back to that, you know, that professional, what, what Ben or myself or someone else may be able to do in that way is go, hey, just ask them these questions within conversation. And if they don't come back with these, you know, these answers, then, then that's a bit of a sign that maybe there's something better for you. And I'm saying this not from a place of, of ego, from a place of, oh, there's better coaches out there. I'm saying this from a place of fucking love, from like yeah, motocross is in my blood and I've been out of the sport and it's taken me to be out of it to go, we are so far from the mark with so many so many people in so many ways that there needs to be a voice that speaks loudly and clearly about this. And that's why, you know, a big, a big part of me, moving forward soon is I want to be able to go on to, you know, some of those American and European podcasts to share this as well, just to raise the awareness. Cause that's the only way it will change. Otherwise those particular people, trainers, coaches, physios, nutritionists, whatever it is, will continue on that path and it won't enable our sport to get to where it could go. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, you can, we can win the world championship right now, but relatively is it against the best guys? And to me, I feel like there's so much more that even the best guys in the GPs and the AMAs have within their tanks that they could access. And you've seen this with the guys that you've worked with, like you change those things and what happens with their results? It's nuts. And, yeah. and that's what I want to see is not just because obviously the guys I work with, I work with them exclusively within their classes so that they're not competing at the moment. But my goal and my vision is to raise the whole standard of the sport the industry in that way where the whole thing lifts so that we have the best against the best because honestly brother like i i look at the guys that you and i are getting to work with and they have an unfair advantage because they've got these tools that aren't tapped into and that's epic for those guys but it's like yeah. the, the love from within me and the, the want to see the best beat the best from within me comes out and i'm like i want this to be shared where there is there is more of this science coming through or there are more of these um, methods coming through that are going to serve the, the races and the industry so for everyone ask why continue to ask why and don't stop asking why until someone you find someone that is like can can answer things with such confidence and conviction and and, and data or evidence or, or results to prove it um yeah i just i really want that for, for moto and the industry question everything as you always say Yes, 100%. Question everything. That is it. Yeah. And that's that's introspection. That's self-awareness. And that's the awareness of the people. And this is the epic thing is once once guys, once you, you know, it's like when you coach an athlete, you, you know, you get a new, new athlete and you teach them the correct technique in something that they've never been exposed to before. They know that forever now. So then if they ever moved onto a different trainer and they're not teaching that technique or they're not picking up on it, they're aware maybe this guy's not the guy i need to look some look at something else or, or ask that question and it yeah. gives them the ability to have that awareness for themselves too so it's like a, a lifetime gift when they get to work with those people that explain the in depth so oh 100 percent, dude yeah. yeah i love that man i want to <laughs> <laughs> thank you heaps dude for that it was awesome 
my awesome, absolute man. my absolute pleasure benny that was that was fun that was like i know there's so much more that eventually we'll chat it like to be able to tap into because i'd love to be able to do one going down a deep davit like the rabbit hole of nutrition and one on you know just on mindset or one on the and we're chatting about training and just being able to give as much value as we can to your audience and i know that that's when the it gets shared around more and more that and just, yeah, that's what I just, I want. And you've got an epic platform. So to you, well done. And for your listeners, well done for listening to Benny because he is one of the wise coaches in this industry. So kudos to you, brother. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Um, where can the listeners check you out? If they haven't perhaps followed you yet, where can they go yeah. check this stuff out, man? Uh, on Instagram, I'm most active on there. So Todd underscore Jarrett. Uh, I pretty much just share all of my Insta content across to Facebook. So my Facebook page is Coach Jarrett, um, but really it's just my content from IG going across to there. So, and if you're going to message me, I have rarely have ever checked the Facebook page um, profile messages. So yeah, Instagram for sure. Instagram for the win. Yeah, IG. <laughs> Maybe some TikTok soon, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet, dude. I love that. Thank you again so much for your time and your generosity. It's awesome. I'd love to do another one again for sure. Thank you, brother. 100% we will. Thank you to everyone for listening in too. If there's anything that that lands or clicks or marks and send me a message or send Benny a message and let us know. I always love the feedback. So, Yeah. Awesome, dude. Thank you.